Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Folks, Black Star Network is here. Oh, no punches! A real uh, revolutionary right now. <laughs> Support this man, Black Media. He makes sure that our stories are told. I thank you for being the voice of Black America, Roland. Hey, I love y'all. All momentum we have now. We have to keep this going. The video looks phenomenal. See, this difference between Black Star Network and Black-owned media and something like CNN. You can't be Black-owned media and be scared. It's time to be smart. Bring your eyeballs home. You dig? July 27, 2022, coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered, streaming live on the Black Star Network. We are live in New York City on the third day of the opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum, uh, where uh, tonight they will be actually having the screening of the movie After Jackie. And there will be a celebrity Q&A after that. We'll be broadcasting that live for you. 
Uh, also on today's show, the United States proposes a prisoner swap to get Brittany Griner back home. We'll tell you about that, give you those details. Also on today's show, the Department of Justice uh, hits uh, a, a real estate company owned by uh, Warren Buffett, the second largest racial discrimination, housing discrimination settlement in American history. We'll give you uh, those details. Also, President Joe Biden no longer has COVID. Uh, we will show you uh, exactly what he had to say uh, also on today's show. Uh, Nikki Fried, she's running for governor of Florida. She will join us on Roland Martin Unfiltered. And Tiffany Haddish uh, will join us in our Tech Talk segment. Yes, she is involved with the technology company. We'll tell you all about it. All that more right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered on the Black Star Network. It is time to bring the punk. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the find. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. Yeah, it's on go, go, roll, y'all. Yeah, it's rolling, Martin. Folks, this is day three of the opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum. Uh, tonight, they are showing the movie After Jackie. And so we are here uh, to broadcast this. Uh, still uh, today, there was a block party where they had uh, children, others who were going through uh, the museum for the first time. And so we certainly uh, are happy to be here and be able to uh, show that for you. Also, there's going to be a celebrity uh, talk back. Uh, take place after the documentary, and we'll also be showing you that right here on the Black Star Network. Uh, folks, uh, it has been three days of festivities beginning on Monday. We were here on Monday where they had uh, a showing, if you will, a private showing uh, for folks uh, who were donors of uh, the museum. Then, of course, yesterday, last night, they had the gala party. Uh, Slick Rick and Dougie Fresh, they performed. We'll hear from them a little bit later uh, as they share uh, their thoughts about performing, and also uh, Ray Chu uh, and his wife as well. They put together the music last night, and so we were here from them as well. But first up on today's show, the federal government, uh, they have proposed a prisoner swap for Brittany Griner. She's been held now for 160 days in Russia uh, after being caught with uh, cannabis in her luggage. And so what, what is being proposed right now, folks, uh, is uh, actually... Uh, a prisoner swap, and the prisoner swap uh, is with, was an arms dealer who was being held uh, in the United States. Actually, there are a couple of people uh, who are being held uh, who are being held there. Uh, 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 first of all, uh, in Russia, and so uh, they have been negotiating uh, for quite some time. Now, remember, Brittany Griner, she pled guilty uh, to the charges of bringing the items in. She has testified saying she was not aware 
of what uh, was actually going on. Uh, here's Secretary of State uh, Anthony Blinken uh, talking about uh, this negotiation. In the coming days, I expect to speak with Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov for the first time since the war began. I plan to raise an issue that's a top priority for us. The release of Americans Paul Whelan and Brittany Griner who've been wrongfully detained and must be allowed to come home. We put a substantial proposal on the table weeks ago to facilitate their release. Our governments have communicated repeatedly and directly on that proposal. And I'll use the conversation to follow up personally and, I hope, move us toward a resolution. As I said, Grant testified earlier today at her uh, possession trial, uh, and she said that the interpreter translated only a faction of what she said uh, during questioning when she was detained at Moscow's airport in February. She said officials told her to sign documents without explaining what they were. She also said no one explained her rights nor gave her access to a lawyer. Uh, again, as I said, she has pled guilty to those charges, and people uh, and folks have said that hopefully they believe that is going to pave the way uh, for her to be released. My panel today, Reverend Patillo, Executive Director of the Rainbow Push Coalition, Peach Tree Street Projects, Monique Presley, legal analyst and host of Make It Make Sense with Monique Presley, Dr. Jason Nichols, senior lecturer, African-American Studies Department, University of Maryland, College Park. Monique, there have been a number of uh, people, a number of black women and others uh, who have been making the point uh, that uh, more pressure needs to be applied to get uh, Brittany Griner released. Uh, this proposed prisoner swap uh, was what many people said was we were originally going to get to. Uh, and so if this is successful, Brittany Griner may very well be on her way home soon. Um, Monique, you're muted. You're muted. Um, I was saying it did take time for them to get that together. I wish that it had happened sooner, and I, I pray that it is... Uh, successful. These these things obviously come at a cost, um, and Russia was not going to be willing to just release her and get nothing in exchange. So, um, I, I pray that it works. Uh, Robert Patello, uh, again, this is uh, 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 look. This is major here uh, because again, she's being held. We know exactly what's going on. You got Putin and Ukraine uh, war that's going on, and frankly. She's a prisoner of, of, of war. Uh, he's using her uh, as a chess piece uh, against the United States. Uh, well, yeah, I had the, uh, the honor of being on Russian television earlier today, along with Reverend Jesse Jackson, uh, to discuss the release of Ms. Grinder, particularly on humanitarian grounds. Uh, we cannot ignore the fact that this sets a dangerous precedence going forward, uh, offering a prison swap in exchange for a U.S. celebrity. Uh, what would stop the Iranian government from kidnapping Rihanna? Or to, what would stop the Chinese uh, from detaining LeBron James in the future in, in order to get many of their uh, prisoners held here in the United States uh, to be released? Uh, particularly this individual, Victor Boot, uh, who is an arms dealer for the FARC, the Colombian terrorist organization, uh, that has resulted in the deaths and displacements of tens of thousands of people in Central and South America. Uh, we have to make sure we're very judicious in how we approach this situation. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, we do want Ms. Greiner and all the other Americans being unjustly held there in, uh, in Russia to be released. Uh, but we also need to make sure that America is doing their part and upholding human rights to stand 
standards that they claim to, uh, that they want to enforce against other nations. Uh, I think a big part of this also has to be uh, up until about five years ago, Brittany Grinder would have gone to jail in America for doing the same thing. And I'm and we are not going to address uh, cannabis decriminalization here in the United States of America. It's difficult for us to say that Brittany Grinder is being held against her human rights for having marijuana when there are people in the United States in prison right now for the exact same substance uh, that we don't want to give the same justice to. So we have to make sure that we are doing this in a judicious way and following all international human rights norms, but we have to also use this opportunity to focus on creating the change we need here at home. Uh, Jason, your thoughts? Well, first of all, um, I don't know anybody who's been held that long for 0.7 grams of, of marijuana here in the United States. They've been held, you know, there are people who are, are incarcerated for something that uh, lots of people make lots of money on in, in, uh, in some states like Colorado, where you can be a, a, you know, a weed millionaire while others are held behind bars, primarily black and brown. But what she did was incredibly minor, and this is 100 uh, percent a political move, and a she is a political prisoner in Russia. Um, I do think that this, you know, as, as Robert is kind of stating here, I think that this uh, swap is imbalanced. Uh, Paul Whelan, if you know, uh, he basically was set up uh, by the Russian government. Um, I 100% believe that he is not guilty of, of espionage and all the things that they are uh, saying that he committed, and he's been in prison uh, unjustly for a very long time. And now you have Brittany Griner, who is a political prisoner and a ploy, uh, you know, by the, the Russian government. And I think the United States is, is in a jam because we need to get our citizens home, particularly ones who have not committed crimes or committed very minor crimes, and they can't be held uh, that way. That said, this is imbalanced because you have a person who is an international terrorist uh, who's probably going to be released after 10 years uh, when he was supposed to serve 25, uh, you know, for somebody who is accused of having 0.7 grams of hash oil. That's not a balanced trade. Uh, well, uh, first of all, again, the trade hasn't happened. We'll see exactly what happens uh, when it comes to uh, that decision, and hopefully it can get resolved soon. Uh, let's talk about, let's go to Minnesota, where two ex-cops <coughs> who were convicted in federal court of violating George Floyd's civil rights, uh, they are headed to prison. A federal judge sentenced Tao Thao to three and a half years, and Jay Alexander King to three years in prison for their involvement in the death of George Floyd. Uh, King was the one who pinned Floyd's back, and Thao held back bystanders while Derek Chauvin knelt on Floyd's uh, neck for nine and a half minutes. Prosecutors say King didn't say anything to stop Chauvin. U.S. District Judge Paul Magnuson cited King's rookie status as a reason for the lighter sentence. The federal prosecutor, Amanda Sertic, disagreed, saying, quote, all he had to do per MPD, Minneapolis Police Department policy, was an attempt to intervene, but he didn't say a word, not one word. Defendant King's world argument about his junior status doesn't hold much weight because the bar for him was so low and he didn't even try to get over it. King and Fowl now wait a state, await a state trial on October 24th where they face uh, aiding and abetting second-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter charges. Uh, Robert, obviously, this was different from Chauvin's case where the state went first then the feds uh, came. This th here, the feds went first, and then the state. Uh, just your assessment 
of the officers involved in the death of George Floyd going to prison. Uh, well, I think it's great that we can have a conviction in cases like this, which is a divergence from historical precedents. Uh, but at the same time, this is a ridiculously light sentence. Uh, if you put this in the uh, civilian context, it was just uh, one person commits a murder, another person holds the person down, another person holds the crown, uh, crowd back. Uh, they all would have been charged with felony murder or, or under accomplice liability and all face the exact same punishment. In this case, you have somebody serving three and a half years, which is less than a slap on the wrist uh, when it comes to the amount of time they will actually serve uh, for the uh, ostensive aiding and abetting or being party to a murder. And so I think we, uh, while we can uh, celebrate the fact that the justice system has worked in some measure, we do have to ensure there is parity uh, and fairness in our judicial system, where simply being a quote-unquote rookie cop doesn't uh, uh, inoculate you from the full uh, punishment of the law that any other citizen would face. Uh, Monique, I was at the Rock Nation Social Justice Conference. Uh, and uh, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison uh, was on one of the panels. And he said, folks, let's be clear. Your protest made the prosecution possible. Your protest is what is working to hold these folks accountable. And so because he was answering a question for some people who say, well, you know what? Protest doesn't do anything. It really, uh, it really isn't enough. And his whole point was, no, that has to continue because that's why we are seeing the kind of pressure being put on DAs and others to actually prosecute cops for wrongdoing. Yeah, and I, I think that's disgraceful. Um, I, I, I think that he's correct. And I think that the protests have proven to be necessary for that purpose. But it is not supposed to be the case that prosecutors are swayed one way or the other due to public pressure when their obligation is to apply the law and to uh, prosecute crimes, to charge and prosecute cases that they know that they, or at least they strongly believe, can be proven guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, and, and the fact that it's necessary uh, for, for millions to take to streets all over the world to get uh, sworn oath-taking government officials to do their constitutional duty is a disgrace. Jason. Yeah, I, I honestly just want to echo what, what Monique said. Um, I think that it's terrifying um, that one way or the other, that public pressure can lead to indictments. I think that, that that's a slippery slope. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want for someone to be angry at Roland Martin, uh, and then you see a bunch of right-wing protesters, and then you get a, a BS indictment. So I, I think one of the things that we have to expect from our law enforcement officials, which includes district attorneys and state's attorneys, uh, and, of course, ADAs, is, uh, of course, for them to apply the, the law and for them to hold people accountable. And in, the, in this particular case, these men clearly aided in the death of George Floyd and should have been punished and should have been and tried the, and, and uh, held accountable the way they were. But it should not come from public protest. I think that that's a dangerous, you know, I pronounce it precedent. Uh, now I'm, like, questioning myself because I keep hearing uh, my, my brother, Robert Patillo, say precedent. 
Um, but, you know, it, it sets a, a dangerous tone for the future where that can be held against, uh, you know, innocent people uh, are put through a prosecution because of public pressure. And it shouldn't be that way. Um, can I add something? Well, here's the deal. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's not a dangerous precedent for a few, for the future. Um, we've actually seen those things uh, play out. Perhaps people have heard of a case where a, a well-known um, veteran entertainer was, due to public pressure and due to the cry of the mob, uh, prosecuted by a, a state-elected prosecutor in the state of Pennsylvania, um, who waited until the... 11th hour before the statute of limitations ran to charge uh, an over-decade-old case. And ultimately, on appeal, uh, that case was dismissed. And the only reason that that happened was because of public pressure. So when the prosecutor does the right thing because of pre public pressure, it's wrong. When the prosecutor does the wrong thing because of public pressure, it's wrong. In either instance, we have the right to our voices. We always should use them. That's why we have elections. We put those people in office if they've run for those offices. Um, but for a prosecutor to bend to the will or the emotions of people in making decisions about violations of the law and of the Constitution is in error. It is misconduct. Well, look, I understand the point that Keith Ellison was making and what he was trying to say to people is that taking to the streets protest does indeed matter because it's about holding people accountable. And the bottom line is this here. It's not like we've actually seen a plethora of DAs doing the right thing by prosecuting people. So I understand this point, and I agree with it 100%. Got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk with uh, Nikki Fried. She's running for governor of Florida. The question is this here. Can Democrats in Florida get their act together? That used to be a blue state. Then it was a purple state. Florida is now a red state. Can she be the Democratic nominee to beat Ron DeSantis and all the money that he has raised as the incumbent governor? That is next on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the Deck Robinson Museum Grand Opening Week right here on the Black Star Network. Get wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's wealth coach. You see the headlines. All frightening, right? Interest rates are going up. The recession is on the way. The stock market is up and down. But you know what they say scared money, don't make money. That's why I'm excited on our next Get Wealthy to have a conversation with someone who has written a new book. Fearless Finances, and she's going to share exactly what you need to do to secure your bag, regardless of the ups and downs of the economy or the stock market. Oftentimes you can start with as little as $5. That's right here, only on Get Wealthy on Black Star Network. Pull up a chair, take your seat, the Black Tape, with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network, every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. My name is Charlie Wilson. Hi, I'm Sally Richardson-Whitfield. And I'm Dodger Whitfield. Hey everybody, this is your man Fred Hammond, and you're watching Roland Martin, my man, Unfiltered. <laughs> 
primary, folks, will not happen until August 23rd. Uh, and there are four Democratic nominees for governor who want to be the one to run against uh, incumbent Governor Ron DeSantis. Uh, those four candidates are uh, Congressman Charlie Crist, former governor of Florida, uh, Cadence Daniel, Robert Willis, uh, as well as the Agriculture Commissioner uh, of the state, uh, Nikki Fried. Nikki joins us right now on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Glad to have you on the show, Nikki. Uh, thank you so very much. Uh, first and foremost, um, Ron DeSantis has raised a significant amount of money. He is a darling of the MAGA crowd. Uh, he already has his eyes set on the on the uh, uh, running for president in 2024, but he wants to do so as the governor of Florida. How are you and others going uh, to uh, stop him from winning uh, another term? First of all, Roland, it is such an honor to be on with you tonight. Uh, you are a legend, but you already know that. Um, look, here, here's the deal. You know, Ron ha has been flying so close to the sun. He is right now speaking very loudly to a very small population here in the state of Florida. And then after we win this primary, we'll be able to create such a coalition of individuals who really have been hurt and humiliated and silenced by the DeSantis administration. I was the first person in 2020 as our only statewide elected Democrat to really call him out for becoming a dictator. That's what he's done. He is taking away people's rights to protest, rights to vote. Um, look, he took away our, our two black congressional districts here in the state of Florida. He's now going after teachers, higher ed system, going after Disney World. Now, there are so many things that he really truly has done here in the state of Florida that come the general election, the money is going to pour here into the state of Florida because people realize that he wants to run for president of the United States. And so this is going to be a POTUS primary. And we know that we've got the right equation. We've got the right candidate. Um, and it's a matter of going everywhere in our state and giving people another option, but also talking about the economy. People are hurting right now. And DeSantis is more concerned about blaming President Biden than really looking at the issues on the ground that is happening and hurting people every single day here. Well, here's a perfect example. DeSantis is going around the state right now uh, presenting checks left and right. That's money that came from the bill that Biden pushed that many Republicans voted against. Are you and other Democrats following him around? Uh, are, you, are people holding up signs saying, hey, thank Biden, these checks ain't the Sanders' money. This came from the Democratic president. I mean, here's a guy literally trying to take credit uh, and, and, and burnish his credentials with money that Republicans did not want to vote for. Absolutely. You know, when that money first was passed, um, in 2021, you know, he, he came out and said, well, we didn't get enough money or we got too much money. And so I called out his nepotism and I called out the hypocrisy of some of those dollars. And now he's touting the fact that we've got the largest surplus in the history of the state of Florida. Well, of course you do because all this money came down from President Biden. And so every single time we are calling it out on social media, we are calling out as much as we can, making people understand the money that is going into these communities is coming from the Biden um, plans that, are, that they passed. And not a single Republican in the state of Florida you know, voted for it. So we are calling this out and making people understand. And look also where the money is going. The money is going into white wealthy communities or in white rural communities. 
and not really focusing on what is happening on the ground in so many pockets of our communities that haven't seen any of these dollars for stimulants, um, to see where we can put money for, for producing more jobs and economic opportunities, especially in our black and brown communities. So we are calling them out as loud as possible. And certainly after the primary, we will have an even larger microphone um, that we're going to be able to crisscross our state and remind people that this money came from Washington, D.C. This has absolutely nothing to do with Ron DeSantis. In fact, um, he wants to talk about inflation. Well, then you shouldn't have taken the money to begin with if that really is your concern. Uh, one of the things that, that you have to deal with, and we have to be honest, uh, Democrats have been porous in the state. Uh, the state party has had fundamental problems. Uh, when you look at, uh, again, uh, the gains Republicans have made, uh, they have been uh, significant. Uh, and so uh, there's a huge task at hand. Congresswoman Val Demings has the same issue running against Senator Marco Rubio uh, in the United States Senate race. If I go back to the race uh, four years ago, Andrew Gillum uh, versus Ron DeSantis, Gillum loses by 30,000 votes. But one of the issues that, if, I'm the Tallahassee Democrat, uh, they actually had uh, a graphic, uh, and I showed it consistently, where they showed the top uh, 12 or 15 counties in the state. Well, it took you to get to, like, number 11 uh, in terms of turnout before you saw a blue county. I believe that was Broward County. Miami-Dade was lower. Uh, and so uh, what are you and others going to do or trying to do uh, to really repair the infrastructure of the Democratic Party um, in terms of being able to get folks out to vote, appeal to Latino voters? They've been voting significantly with Republicans, but also turning out black voters. Uh, if you don't do well as Democrats in Broward or Miami-Dade County, you have no shot at winning. What's the plan? Yep, absolutely. And you're 100% correct. You know, when I ran in 2018, so I was on the same ticket as Andrew, um, and I think every single day the, the, the black voters that came out, because I know that they mobilized and they came out for Andrew, and I reaped the benefit of that. Um, and so understanding what happened in 2018 and what Democrats do really bad, we spend so much time and energy talking about just the top of the ticket and, and putting all of our resources at the top of the ticket. And down ballot candidates, our, our grassroots organizing events, our, 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 our caucuses, our clubs, our House and our Senate seats, our city and county commission seats don't have the resources that are necessary. So it's part of my pledge that we need the money at the top, but we need to make sure that it's going down. And what's really cool is that we have the opportunity this year that there may be four women that come out of this primary season, and three, that would be women of color. And so looking at the ways to actually market and brand the Democratic Party and do commercials together, all five of us, that would be Val, myself, and the other three members of the cabinet on the slate doing commercials together, really exciting the base, showing the complete difference. The other thing that we don't do well, which is what, something that I did well in 2018, which is how I won, is that we only focus on the blue counties. The only person who's been able to do this well in Florida um, since our last Democratic uh, governor is, is Barack Obama. And he came and understood that we can't just talk to the blue areas. We've got to go to the red rural communities, go to the red counties, and make sure that we're losing by less. And that's what I did in 2018. I targeted 13 counties in my state and said, I know I can't win these. I flipped two of them, but losing by less in some of those areas to make up for the gap. Because no matter how much that we turn out in Dade and Broward and some of our other blue areas, we can't overcome if we ignore them. And when it comes to the Hispanic community, uh, we also in 2020 ignored them. Um, we basically conceded the state. Uh, we had very little uh, involvement from the Biden campaign here in 20. 
2020, where you saw the, the Trump machine come here and talking to the Hispanic community. So day one of my campaign, we started what's called the Nikki Escucha tour, Nikki Listens. We crisscrossed our state talking to the Hispanic community, but not as a whole. We talked to the Puerto Rican community, the Cuban community, Colombian, Venezuelan, um, even making sure that we're talking to the Haitian community, which is different than just the black community, making sure that we're talking to the Caribbean community. And so we as Democrats haven't done a good job making sure that we understood and listened to what are the issues on the ground infecting each of these different communities. Um, I was born and raised in Miami. My back neighbors were, were Cubans growing up. I heard the stories. I went to Cayo Ocho um, once a month growing up. And a lot of times it's understanding that the personal plight that so many of these individuals went through to get to Florida, get to America, understanding those situations and saying, look, at the end of the day, we all want freedom. We all want democracy. And unfortunately, you've got a governor right here who's doing just the opposite. And we understand the economic struggles that so many people are, are dealing with today that Ron DeSantis is not dealing with, wants to focus his time and energy on Washington, D.C., and not in the actual backyards of the people here in our state. Well, here's a perfect example. Here's Ron DeSantis, I mean, just flat out lying uh, uh, in this news conference. Sit back and play this here. Here we go. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty System for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. All right, so for some reason, uh, we're not playing it. But, but basically, DeSantis uh, is, is out here talking about how our uh, school workers uh, are, t- are telling, telling kids, uh, oh, you have the option, uh, uh, you know, to change uh, your gender. I mean, he's throwing these things out. We saw him attack the black congressional district. We saw what happened with Disney as well. I mean, this guy has lied. He lied about critical race theory being in math books. You know, and I think, uh, you know, so are people literally calling him on his lies? Yes. We're doing that every single day. And what is great is the fact that, you know, as our only statewide elected Democrat, I have been in the trenches. I have been fighting him for the last three and a half years. And so now as I travel the state and talking to other electeds, other candidates, I make sure that we stay very on focus and on point because we as Democrats get this tendency um, to throw everything out there and hope that something sticks. We've got to be very message focused. Got to make sure that we call him out on the lies, on, on what he's doing. We had Nazis that were protesting in Tampa over this weekend, right outside of where he was giving a speech, showing and holding Nazi flags, holding pictures of him and praising Ron DeSantis. I went out there on Sunday at the exact same spot, asking Ron DeSantis to denounce Nazis. This should be basic 101 for any American here, and especially a, a, an individual who leads a state of 22 million people, the most diverse state in the nation, with the third largest Jewish population. And so it's going to take all of us this courage to stand up and speak loudly on these issues. And, and we are saying these things. And, and of course, unfortunately, the national media you know, wants to just anoint him as the next heir apparent to Trump and doesn't realize that we need help here on the ground that we can beat him and we will beat him. He only won by 33,000 votes. This is a state that less than 1% margins are are the decisions between winners and losers. I flipped a seat by almost a million votes, 20 points in 2018, to be the first female to ever been elected commissioner of agriculture here in the state and here in the Southeast. And so we are going to have to have Democrats stay very laser-focused, calling this out, but also not falling for his traps. 
because that's what he also likes to do. He likes to throw out these things that he knows polls well, um, not only on his base, but even on, on some of the moderates in our state. We as Democrats can't focus on, on falling for his traps. We need to make sure that we are message disciplined. We're talking about the economy and we're calling out his lies. Even this weekend, he was, or excuse me, not last weekend, he said that, again, math books had woke in them. Um, and so that's why they had to be taken off the shelves. This is a situation in Florida. And so this has to be all hands on deck to everybody across the country. This guy is the largest threat to democracy in the entire country. And we're going to need backup and support. I will make sure that we are organized here on the ground, um, but the resources from across the country is going to be necessary um, for help and, and support come, come November. All right, then, uh, Nikki Freed, uh, Commissioner Freed, I certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. I look forward to having you back, and we'll certainly be watching this race uh, intensely. Well, appreciate your time and appreciate what you do out here. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk with uh, Tiffany Haddish as well as uh, a gentleman she's working with uh, on a technology platform. That's right. And no, it's not comedy. We'll explain next right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from the opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum in New York City right here on the Black Star Network. Don't forget, download the Black Star Network app. Folks, Black-owned, you know what we do. This is about telling our story. Uh, and so, again, every platform, Apple phone, Android phone, Apple TV, Android TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Xbox One, Samsung Smart TV. Also, please join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar you give goes to support what we do. And so, checks and money orders go to P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Cash app, Valisad, RM Unfiltered. PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Zell is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. We'll be right back. get wealthy with me, Deborah Owens, America's Wealth Coach. You see the headlines. All frightening, right? Interest rates are going up. The recession is on the way. The stock market is up and down. But you know what they say. Scared money? Don't make money. That's why I'm excited on our next Get Wealthy to have a conversation with someone who has written a new book, Fearless Finances, and she's going to share exactly what you need to do to secure your bag, regardless of the ups and downs of the economy or the stock market. Oftentimes you can start with as little as $5. That's right here, only on Get Wealthy on Black Star Network. I'm Dion Cole, and you're watching. Roland Martin, Unfiltered. Stay woke. Folks, y'all know uh, we are all about uh, black-owned African-Americans who are doing things in the tech space. Every Wednesday, we have Tech Talk. 
And so my next guest are two folks uh, who have come up with a concept that, you know what, maybe you're tired of Zoom or you're tired of Microsoft Teams or Google uh, uh, Google Meets or uh, any of the other platforms out there. It's called Bizio, B-I-Z-I-O. Uh, comedian Tiffany Haddish, uh, she has teamed up with Richard Thompson, founder of Digital Air Technology and Analytics, to create this platform. Richard joins us from New York. Tiffany is out in L.A. Uh, glad to have both of you on the show. And so, Tiffany, you're on the show. Yeah, I'm on the show now. <laughs> I made it. Y'all, so Tiffany's on stage. Y'all, Tiffany's on stage at the Superdome at Essence Festival. Uh, and so she's on stage with Kenny Burns. Kenny's like, what's up, Roll? Child from the stage. Tiffany go, hey, Roland, you ain't calling me back. I was like, Lord, look at her showing herself. But, but. It was an email, wasn't a call. But it's all. Right. Except, except when you call me at my girl's trip. I never got that call. But it's all right. Glad to have you here. Let's talk about this busy. What do you mean you never got that call? You know, I. You remember, your publicist know. I'll tell you about it later. Okay, so let's talk about this busy. First of all, uh, Tiffany. Tiffany, where, where where did this come from in terms of you and Richard? How did y'all come together to work on this concept? Well, I had been talking to a few of my friends about, you know, how I'm going to invest my money in technology that's owned by black people. Uh, straight up, I feel like, you know, every time I um, am asked to invest in something technology-wise, and I love technology, I'm a big tech head. So, and every time it's like never developed by us, never really for us, never, you know, it's like, oh, if we do this, it's going to make them rich, but how does that feed us? Like, I'm so much about like, how do I contribute to my community? I, like, yeah, great. I'm making people laugh. Yep. I'm, you know, doing this, I'm opening a grocery store, but how can I really contribute and be effective in making small black businesses grow, making them big black businesses and and also just making it where we can communicate with each other and we're keeping the dollars circulating in our community as opposed to it going outside. Um, you're absolutely right. That's one of the reasons why I invested in Isaac Hayes fan base, uh, because, again, we are very great, Richard, at making other people rich. Black people, we're early adopters. We download apps. We're very involved. Yet, when it's black owned, folks are like, uh, I don't quite know. And I'm like, yo, what the hell? Have the same energy as you have for some other folks. Uh, and there and so, Richard, right. how long were you working on, on this idea? How long were you working on this idea? Uh, how long has it been around? Okay, thank you. Well, uh, well Mr. Martin, I want to thank you first. It is an honor to be, 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 uh, be on your show, uh, get, get, get a chance to be you. Like, you, you've been in one of the major, like, journalists that's been, like, uh, put, putting our African community in the place where it should be. Uh, myself, I've been, like, developing enterprise technology uh, for, like, over 25 years. Uh, been building up uh, most of the uh, communication systems for uh, Bar Marcus Capital, BlackRock. I used to uh, run a new a front office New York Real Estate for uh, Barclays and front office trading for uh, for BlackRock. And one of the things that always got to me is that um, they never. It was very little recruitment of African Americans to the front office space, where where dollars are really where dollars are really made at. And if you also look in enterprise technologies like Microsoft, uh, IBM, uh, Google. Uh, when it comes to the recruitment, 
of our community is very little. It's, it's less than 3%. So those things bother me very much. So I left in 2011 to actually go after how do we actually make move, move, move the needle. We, and that was creating the, the enterprise technology company so we can actually uh, have a competitive space of a Microsoft, of a Google, of an Apple, not just apps. No, let's, 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 let's get to the core of it. And then also get to the core of how do we put ourselves in capital markets. Uh, I, I got a chance to uh, meet Tippy through a very good friend of my name. His name is uh, Jimmy Martinez, Jimmy Marr. Uh, we, we had wanted uh, a voice that was true someone that is actually committed to the cause of, you know, helping our community. And, 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 and Tiffany, seeing what we were doing right from the gate, um, you know, this always gets to me because uh, she loves our people so much, she just put her money right in. She's like, Rich, I see what you guys are doing. I see uh, this commitment. Your struggle is our struggle. Your victory is our victory. So we, we, we just came together and said, you know what? We're just going to do it ourselves. Uh, we're always marginalized in, in technology, Always large lines that we can't money manage our money. I say, forget this. We've been doing it for so long. We can just put it up ourselves. Put up. We look like a Google. It's just not. It's just not uh, the Zoom. But if you go into, we got drives, right? We we got mail coming along, but we also have a Salesforce type CRM, uh, QuickBooks, everything that we need to back office things that run our communities, and then we got our own. Uh, trading systems that we're using that right now is being activated on the continent of Africa. We connected Ghana and Kenya to make it trades there. And we've done it just with us, right? Because it had to be done. A real black Wall Street. Real black. Hello. We, 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 we aren't just making apps. The so infrastructure first, that so moves. First, so first of all, where can I access it? That's first. Is it an app? Is it uh, desktop based? Is it, is it uh, pad based? So where, where can I access it right now? So, so right now you can just go to thebizio.com and that's the interest way for, for the portal. And, uh, and, and the apps, we will be releasing in the app store right now. They're just waiting for it to be, be approval in a few more days and you'll see the Bizio meet what you're on right now will be an actual app. So, so, so this years. is it, this is it. So this, so, so this is it right here. Guys, show my iPad. So is B-I-Z-I-O.com? Yeah, T-H-E, put in the Bizio first. T-H-E, thebizio.com. See, there you go. So, again, so for the folks out there, so I want people who are watching, when we remember our Tech Talk segment, I want them also downloading and looking at it while we're doing it as well. Um, and, and, and so, Tiffany, he said there are several things that it does, so it's not just one thing. And so that's also uh, pretty cool because it allows you to tap into different lanes of people as opposed to just sort of one thing. Yes. Yeah, it's a place where small black businesses can keep their, not even big businesses, but you can do QuickBooks so you can keep accounts of everything that's going on in your business. We also are in a couple of schools too, right, uh, Rich? We're in uh, HBCU. We're in, um, but like, so my dream is that we're able to communicate and like let each other know what's going on in the community and not have it be, you know, um, manipulated uh, through the uh, voice of uh, somebody that's not like us. You know what I'm saying? Uh, as, a, as someone in the entertainment business, I love to be able to talk directly to my fans and not have it be censored or, um, you know, they, they exaggerate or put stuff on it that's not true. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to our health, our finances, uh, the way that we uh, do things in the world, like, 
I noticed they, they're able to control their media and communicate the way they want to with each other, but we are not always able to do that. That's why I love you, like, because you have your platform and you talk to us, right? Yes. And we're sharing information with each other, and I think that's so important. So not only can you do, like, your own, um, you know, accounting on here, but we can have our own. This is our Zoom, okay? This busy old meets is, is our thing, so it's not um, being, you know monitored by them and uh, then you have your own we have a whole like you know board where you can click in and see what's going on in the community what's going on over here what's going on in africa and all of that where we're communicating with each other so the diaspora will be connected yes wow absolutely so as i as i'm as i'm scrolling through here uh you know and looking at uh the options uh, it definitely uh, provides all of that. I'm going to bring my panel in for questions. Let me first start. Uh, Jason, you're a professor at the University of Maryland. Uh, you get the first question uh, for Tiffany uh, and Richard regarding the Bizio, T-H-E, Bizio.com. Jason. <laughs> Jason. Jason. Hit them. You're muted, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, let me start. Lord, today. have mercy. Real quick. Um, thank you all for coming on and thank you all for explaining what it is that, that you've created here. I think it's amazing that you're connecting all these different parts of the diaspora um, and getting more African-Americans into tech. So that's one of my questions. Is there uh, any way or, or anything you're doing to get uh, perhaps young black people who are interested in tech to work for the company and maybe expand the company uh, using uh, young black people in tech, because that is going to be, uh, you know, I, I was just reading a book that said that tech is going to be bigger than construction uh, for the next decade. So um, is there anything that you guys are doing to maybe mentor young people to get them and get people working uh, in your company, black people, as you guys grow? Yes. Oh, like Tiffany, do you, do you want me to answer that? Go ahead, Rich. Take it away. Uh, well, one of well, one of the things that we're doing, like uh, we 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 have partnerships uh, with uh, uh, with UCF regarding HBCU. Um, one of the first things we're putting in is a finance platform, finance wealth platform, and we'll be training HP, HBCU students to work on our platform. Because um, like being in the front office, especially in that space. We don't get access to Bloomberg. It's very expensive, right? So to be able to bring that data and access to wealth and how wealth is managed and be able to create, you know, uh, quants uh, for myself, that's part of my background also. So partnering with USCF and creating partnerships with the HBCU, we're going to be able to now uh, bring on 500 students at first to be able to be trained. We say, hey, if we, if we get you trained so you can see what a training for looks like or what the tech that goes along to actually create that looks like, we want to get that. Uh, and that's training out uh, earlier. Uh, and then we'll have the Haddish report. Forget the Bloomberg report. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. We come up with all that energy. Oh, well, I have some black students, too, if you need, you know. If, yes. If you, students, I'm, you know, I'm not at an HBCU, but we definitely have some black students at the University of Maryland. If you're looking for some talented students, let me know. Oh, yes, I'll Yes. All right. Uh, Robert Patillo, you're next. 
Thank you all so much for the uh, this outstanding uh, uh, application. I do have a question about uh, growth. You know, uh, a lot of things, it's not about the product itself, it's how it's advertised, how it's pushed to people. Uh, have you guys reached out to black content creators, uh, bloggers, uh, internet influencers, uh, business owners, who can, in putting this into their hands to make sure that they can push out to the audience? Uh, because often it's far more important to make sure more people know about it, even, uh, even more so than having an outstanding product you already have. Oh, Tim, you, you want to go to, to the actual grow growth strategy? Yeah, well, so we're definitely on top of that. Um, you know, you know, I'm also a content creator and an influential person, but I can't do it all by myself. I'm making movies and stuff too. So we definitely right. are reaching out to, huh? I said right, you, right. That part. So <laughs> that part, I just want to get with that so um but we definitely are reaching out to content creators um right now we just we just launched like like two weeks ago so so it's it's a it's a slow rollout process because we want to make sure that it works like for me it's like anything that i put out yep. into the market i want to make sure that it's 100 percent efficient and so we've already did the first kickoff the next go round, there'll be uh we have a whole you know ambassador program um and there'll be you'll be hearing more about it this is you're hearing it here first but we already have a bunch of people signed up but there'll be even more and more to come you'll be seeing on my social media platforms me uh, putting it out there. I mean, I'm setting up where all my meetings happen here on Busyo Meets. So um, I don't play. I don't play. Yeah, we're gonna, we gonna make them give it us. Oh, that, and that's how you actually do it, uh, Monique. Yeah, I, I. First of all, Howard University is right down the street. I just want to clarify that for that University yeah. of Maryland offer. Um, HU, uh, just let me let me just off the jump say that. And then I'm I'm really thankful that you all are doing this. But I am ex, ex, just extra proud to be a black woman right now. They they always were trying to marginalize and put us in boxes and only even if it's a great box, they want us to just be in the one. So thank you, Tiffany, for this, because even in the doing of it, you're setting examples for, for daughters like mine um, that we don't have to be compartmentalized and we can't be kept in one space. And as we branch yeah. out, we can branch out in ways that help our community. So. Thank you. Best believe. Let me tell you something. My uh, business manager was getting on me because she's like, you putting how much money into this? You know, you could go on vacations. You need to move out of South Central L.A. and move into the Hollywood Hills, Beverly Hills. And I'm like, I'd rather stay in South Central L.A. Invest my money in companies that I believe in that are owned by us and watch them grow and see South Central L.A. turn into Beverly Hills. That's right. right. See my community transform into something amazing. And like I could be like really like stingy. So go buy me like designer, all designer clothes, which I've been doing kind of. But they've been giving them to me because I talks about it. But also like, you know, I could be having me a Bugatti and all that. But instead, I decided to build a platform that's going to build us up. I'm so much. I'd rather put my money in my people than put all my money in me. I put a, a lot of it in me, too. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? But the thing there, uh, Richard, with Tiffany uh, just said, uh, is that, uh, and I need, I need all these black folks right now who are watching us on the Black Star Network, who are watching us on Facebook, on YouTube, 
Also, y'all, y'all on YouTube, stop freeloading. Hit the damn like button. We should be a thousand by now. But here's the whole right. deal. Black folks spend too much time flossing. Ross Perot, Way too much uh, who time. passed away. Ross Perot, Ross Perot was worth three to four billion dollars. Ross Perot, remember that ran, ran for president? He drove a minivan. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett got like damn near a hundred billion. Uh, he drove like a truck. So, so the thing, ho- is, so I, I, I get, hey, the final things in life, but the reality is. What Tiffany's doing, saying, look, I put $50,000 into fan base. That's called taking money, and you might have a multiple of 100, 500, 1,000. Everybody running around right now trying to buy the lotto tickets to hit that lotto, that mega, that mega, uh, mega millions is now over a billion dollars. But guess what? If you invest your money in certain companies, that could be your billion. Exactly. I'm tired of being dudes wearing diamonds on their neck, but still renting a a one-bedroom apartment. Get out of my face with that. I need people, I want people around me that own land. I want to show my people how to own land, own companies. That's where the money's at, baby. Like, that's where the growth is. That's where you will be able to see your children have food on the table every day when you build something that we use. We spend more money on other people's stuff as opposed to let's build it ourselves and make it, spend it for us. Like, yes. let's watch us, bro. There's, there'll be less crime, I can tell you that much. Yes. There'll be less of us in jail. And, 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 and Tiffany, to, to, to actually add to that, uh, let's say the digital revolution industry is actually happening now because we got Web3 web happening, which, you know, the uh, privacy uh, and security of data. And then you, you have uh, the, uh, the industry 4.0, which talks about automation, right? Uh, those two things are happening. And without us training our workforce to be able to participate that, because the businesses are not going to train our communities. The Vizio is built on that architecture so that we can now train our communities to create wealth for uh, for, for, for our community. And if you look at those companies, they represent $7 trillion worth of market cap. So if you go into Microsoft, Apple, Google, Facebook, that's $7 trillion, right? Little that comes to our communities is hit. So if we create an uh, enterprise that looks like those companies that can, and, and we actually protect our data, now we start to get in, we start to get into the ball game and have a greater impact uh, to, 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 our, to our wealth in our future. And we will outperform now. Yes. Well, and, and, well, and, and the fact of the matter is this here, uh, and, and I can tell you this, folks, I know this because of uh, private equity, black and minority firms, outperform white firms when it comes to uh, the private equity. But they don't get uh, the multi-billion dollar funds to be able to manage. And so uh, I think this is, is, is absolutely a fa- fabulous idea. Uh, I look forward uh, to actually testing it. You say you're rolling it out. So, Richard, when, when does the app roll out? So right now, to use the platform, can you, can you only use it on your computer? Uh, when will you be able to, be able to use the Vizio uh, on the iPad as well as uh, on the uh, on the phone? Yeah, they'll, uh, they'll be available uh, August 1st. So I'll, I will keep you updated right now. We're just waiting for the approval. The apps are done. Uh, so as, as soon as it's approved by uh, Apple, and we'll be looking forward to being by the first, uh, the, the, the top of the month, uh, it, it will be available. Absolutely. Well, look, uh, I think that is uh, uh, a fabulous. And again, I'm a firm believer. Oh, what Tiffany go? I'm a firm believer uh, in uh, in us. So the reason we created this segment 
was specifically uh, to allow for African Americans uh, to in technology to be able to tout their products. And so we appreciate uh, both of you joining us on the show. Uh, Richard, thank you so very much. Uh, Tiffany, thank you so, much. Uh, thank you so very much uh, for coming for coming on the show. Uh, certainly, let us know uh, how it goes. And look again, we do look forward to actually uh, seeing this app uh, and actually uh, using it because it is about us creating wealth. And look, we use technology like more than anybody else, and it's great yes, to be able to do it with black folks. Thank you. All right, folks, I thank, appreciate you, it. thank you so, you so much. very much. Thank you so very much. All right, Tiffany, uh, I'll send you a text. I, I don't see your picture there. I'll send you a text. <laughs> All right, folks, we're going to go to a break. Uh, when we come back, uh, uh, there we go. When we come back, more Roland Martin Unfiltered. We'll hear from Slick Rick, Dougie Fresh, Ray Chu, Vivian Chu about the Jackie Robinson Museum. And we also will talk with the director uh, of the movie after Jackie. All of that in the second hour. Roland Martin Unfiltered. YouTube, Facebook, hit that like button, hit that share button, spread the message. We're here in New York City celebrating the great Jackie Robinson and his amazing legacy on the Black Start Network, Black-owned, unapologetic, and unfiltered. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Sexy to me is the exact same feeling uh, as running water, ever flowing. Water always finds a way to get through. And so when you know that you're sexy, uh, there are no questions about it. It is an ever flowing emotion, it is an ever flowing feeling. Mm -hmm. When you question it though, you stop the water. Mm. I, I actually, I struggle with this a lot, mainly because I've been told what sexy should look like, what it should feel like. As a model who did Sports Illustrated, you're told that this is what sells sexy, but then you travel the world and what's sexy to one person is not sexy to another person. Um, I'm more of a mindfuck kind of person. Uh, how can you, how can you stimulate the brain? Mm -hmm. To me, that's, that's sexy. up a chair, take your seat, The Black Tape, with me, Dr. Greg Carr, here on the Black Star Network. Every week, we'll take a deeper dive into the world we're living in. Join the conversation only on the Black Star Network. Hi, I'm Dr. Jackie Hood-Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. Hi, I'm Amber Stevens-West from The Carmichael Show. Hi, my name is Latoya Luckett, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. Charmakia Williams has been missing from Crystal Springs, Mississippi, since July 24th, a 15-year-old who goes by the name Sweet Pea is 5 feet 7 inches tall, weighs 276 pounds, with brown hair and hazel eyes. She may be in need of medical attention. Anyone with information about Shaw Mikia Williams should call the Copaya County, Mississippi Sheriff's Office at 601-892-2023, 601-892-2023. 
Uh, some good news about a black and missing reported on the other day. Uh, Marshall Grant Griffin, uh, he is, was found yesterday. We got an email from Grant's father who told us his son was found and is safe. So we are certainly glad uh, to hear that. Folks, in North Carolina, thousands of fellows in North Carolina are getting their voting rights restored. Starting today, the Board of Education Elections will allow anyone not currently in jail or on parole to register to vote. In March, a panel of judges struck down an old North Carolina law preventing anyone from registering until the end of their sentence. The judges said the law discriminates explicitly against black folks. This is a perfect example. I keep saying it, Monique, why voting matters and why you need to have people need to be supporting uh, civil rights lawyers who are out there fighting the good fight because them battling these type of laws has now created the opportunity for folks to be able to vote in North Carolina who were formerly incarcerated. Uh, is Monique there? Okay, uh, Monique can't hear me. What's the deal, y'all? Yeah. Ro Robert, can you hear me? I hear you. Yeah, I hear you as well. Okay, you wait on you. You wait on the story. So yeah, I I think that's um, absolutely correct. That you know the public pressure, um, the things that uh, we can do as a community can actually affect change. And I can actually... hear you, but not the show. Or... Okay, Jason, go ahead, Jason. And this is the, the kind of thing that can sway elections. This is one of the reasons why we have voter suppression, trying to keep people, uh, you know, people who may have had a, a felony record, keeping them from voting. This is what swayed elections for generations in, uh, in the state of Florida that we were just mentioning, um, was that if you had a felony record, uh, you were disenfranchised. And once they fixed that, they started, you know, Ron DeSantis started finding loopholes saying you had to pay all of your court fines and, and everything before you could actually vote. There's no reason why people shouldn't be able to vote if they were incarcerated. There are two states in this nation where you can vote while you're incarcerated. It just so happens those are two of the whitest states in the, in the nation, which is uh, Maine and Vermont, I believe. So this is really important. Um, voting is... A, key element of our citizenship. And I know that as someone who teaches about, you know, reconstruction every semester, uh, how important the vote was to, to black people and how incarceration has been used as a means to keep black people from voting, we need to make sure that this is the case nationwide. And this is a really important step forward in the, in the state of North Carolina. Uh, it is. Uh, this next story, Warren Buffett's mortgage company, uh, they have reached a historic $24 million settlement with the Department of Justice due to the issue of redlining. Uh, Triton Mortgage Company is accused of discriminating against potential black and Latino homebuyers in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and Delaware for 2015-2019. Employees did not approve loans to black prospects and called certain neighborhoods ghettos. The company is setting aside $20 million in loans for underserved communities and hiring minority loan officers. The company stopped writing mortgages in 2020. Despite the settlement, the company denies the allegations and insists it does not discriminate against home buyers of color. Well, we know that's bullshit. 
uh, Robert uh, and Monique, because you don't pay $24 million just for the hell of it. Uh, absolutely. And Roland, just kind of uh, going back to the last story, just very quickly, I think people need to understand that uh, felony disenfranchisement is unconstitutional. Uh, it's one of the last remaining vestiges of Jim Crow that we seem to have just accepted into society, but it's based upon a misreading and misapplication of the 15th Amendment uh, that Jim Crow era judges kind of read into the judicial record and that we go with right now. The, uh, the amendment says uh, prosecution or participation in a or conviction of a crime or, or, or insurrection. It was meant to stop people who participated in the Civil War as insurrectionists from being able to vote. And now, 150 years later, it's being used to stop African-Americans from being able to vote. So we need to challenge that judicially. And I think state legislatures need to keep that in mind when repealing the felony disenfranchisement laws, that they are indeed Jim Crow-era laws meant to, uh, meant to stop African-Americans from voting, from voting. And then secondarily, on this uh, redlining case, Let's remember something, that the Supreme Court next term will be taking up uh, what's called the Interstate Commerce Clause. The Interstate Commerce Clause was that expansion of federal rights that allowed the federal government to intercede in state-level or individualized con uh, uh, conduct uh, if they had any indicia or any uh, touching of interstate commerce. In some, that means that the only reason the federal government can enforce um, redlining and other civil rights standards against individual businesses is because of the Interstate Commerce Clause. What we have seen from this court right now is this 6-3 majority is willing to overturn any precedents, and so we cannot simply get distracted by some of the, uh, the more media-driven uh, stories. Uh, once that interstate commerce clause is gone, uh, which it may be next term, and which I think we need to be starting to plan for and fight against now, then all bets will be off. We'll be down to every single state being for themselves as a dangerous place to be at constitutionally. Um, Monique, uh, this is another example of the great work that Christian Clark is doing, leading the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. Uh, and I will hope the White House is paying attention. They should be touting these wins in this civil rights DOJ. Yes, this is another great um, piece of work that they're doing. And they are, you know, putting out the the press releases, the talking points about all of these things that are happening. And so I, I think, you know, it would be great for everybody to be doing what you're doing, which is covering it and pushing it out there um, so that as many people as possible can know about this work that is happening, because um, there really is only so much tooting of the own horn that the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice can do um, without it kind of crossing the lines into self-aggrandizement, uh, which is frowned upon in, in government spaces um, for, for government lawyers who, as I said before, are supposed to be beholden to the Constitution of the United States. But it's up to us to take the things that they're doing. And anytime somebody says, this administration ain't done nothing for black people, we should have a for real black card um, with those things listed and including some some great things that I think will be coming coming down the pipe very soon, like tomorrow. All right, folks, uh, hold tight one second. We come back. Uh, we'll talk more about the opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum. Uh, a little bit later, it's going to be showing the movie uh, after Jackie. We're going to talk with the director in just a second. We'll also hear from a Slick Rick, uh, from um, uh, Dougie Fresh, Vivian Chu, Ray Chu. They performed last night here. We'll have that for you. You're watching 
Roland Martin Unfiltered, the Black Star Network. Back in a moment. I'm Pastor Jackie Hood Martin, and I have a question for you. Ever feel as if your life is teetering and the weight and pressure of the world is consistently on your shoulders? Well, let me tell you, living a balanced life isn't easy. Join me each Tuesday on Black Star Network for a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We'll laugh together, cry together, pull ourselves together, and cheer each other on. So join me for new shows each Tuesday on Black Star Network, a balanced life with Dr. Jackie. We're all impacted by the culture, whether we know it or not. From politics to music and entertainment, it's a huge part of our lives. And we're going to talk about it every day right here on The Culture with me, Faraji Muhammad, only on the Black Star Network. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Lunell. So what's up? This is your boy, Earthquake. Hi, I'm Chaley Rose, and you're watching Roland Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered here uh, at the uh, opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum. Uh, this is day three. Last night, uh, the Met Gala party took place. Uh, the performers were Slick Rick and my man Dougie Fresh. Uh, they certainly tore the house down. They were rocking uh, all night long. I uh, had folks out here dancing and having a good time. And so it was great to see them uh, on the stage. We live streamed it on Black Star Network. If y'all want to see the performance, simply go to the app. Uh, you can check it all out. Uh, after the performance, I caught up with both of them, as well as music directors, Ray Chu and his wife Vivian, uh, when they talked about uh, just what it meant for them to be involved uh, in this historic opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum. Uh, what's up, Slick Rick with Dougie Fresh? Thank you for having us to celebrate Jackie Robinson's museum, a part of like American history, you know what I mean? It's good to be a part of it, you know what I mean? And all that good stuff, you know? So, Shout out to the vets. Love, right? Guys, I appreciate it. First of all, keep watching my man, Roland Martin's joint. He's on fire. That's first. Let me get that off the plate. Second of all, the reason why I'm saying that is because he's here covering something that means a lot. This is our history. Jackie Robinson has played such a major role in changing the conditions in America and went through a lot, more than anybody can ever imagine, and he still made it happen. So he should be an inspiration for all of us on what we can become. And 100th birthday to Miss Robinson, always. Getting the call to be part of the event team to present all the entertainment for the Jackie Robinson Museum was an honor. It was an honor because Mr. Robinson was not just about baseball, he was about racial equality. And to celebrate Mrs. Robinson's 100th birthday, Mrs. Robinson's name. Thank you for trusting Ray Chu, Vivian Chu, Chu Entertainment. Well, I'll tell you what, this is such an honor. 
to be entrusted with the music and the production of the show tonight. You know, we, you know, my wife and I put the whole thing together, and it's an honor because not only about Jackie Robinson, but Rachel Robinson, her 100th birthday, and the legacy of the Robinsons is incredible. So for us to be a part of that is an honor. Thank you. Folks, uh, joining us right now uh, is uh, the director of this movie they're about to show. It's called After Jackie. Andre Gaines with us right now. They'll be showing it uh, any moment. Uh, Andre, first of all, glad to have you here. Thanks, sir. Uh, and so tell us, what is After Jackie? So After Jackie is about all the players that came after Jackie Robinson. So you sort of know life and, his and history of the United States before Jackie Robinson. But there's a whole history that really came after Jackie Robinson, especially in the game of baseball that doesn't get a lot of credit, including Jackie himself being the civil rights leader. A lot of people don't realize that he was marching with Dr. King. And so this was really the story about his life after after baseball and then also about several of the players that came after him that he was ushering into the game. Now, this movie here aired uh, on the History Network? Correct? Yeah, on History Channel. Yeah, so it came out History Channel, Juneteenth uh, weekend, and uh, we're screening it here tonight with the opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum. It's been a beautiful event, a special event, being able to see um, uh, Rachel Robinson and the whole family uh, come out yesterday for the grand opening, and it would be great to see them again tonight for the screening. I mean, I, it is a remarkable story, uh, and, and, and you're right. There were so many phenomenal baseball players mm -hmm. uh, who came after Jackie Robinson uh, who, who gets sort of lost uh, in uh, all the focus just on him. Yeah, so, you know, so much focus was on not only Jackie Robinson, but really just him integrating baseball. We never really see the story of Jackie's life after that happens. We just sort of assume that everything was unicorns and glitter, but it really wasn't. And we also see that he had these, these battles he had to fight on the field. But then in this film, we really highlight uh, Bob Gibson, uh, Bill White, Kurt Flood, three players that were all on the St. Louis Cardinals who had a very unique style of baseball which was more reminiscent of the Negro Leagues. And also they were the first time we really saw the combined player activists. You know, Jackie was a player first and then became an activist in retirement. But once we get uh, to the 60s, early 60s, we finally see the, the beginnings of the combined player activists where these guys are playing at the highest level possible but then also fighting for freedom and equality um, when they go off the field. Of course, we lost Bob Gibson last year along with Henry uh, Henry Hank Aaron as well. And so many great players. You're absolutely right. When you talk about... Uh, but we still have Bill White. We still uh, got yeah, Bill White. Bill He's White. still here with and then us. We, then we talk about uh, Kurt Flood. I mean, there is no athlete. That's right. As a baseball player, there's no athlete today uh, who should not uh, pay homage uh, to Kurt Flood because it was his lawsuit. Although he lost, it was his lawsuit that paved the way for free agency in sports. That's right. A lot of people don't realize that at all. I mean, this isn't all of sport. This is not just baseball. Where he created, where he pioneered uh, free agency, modern-day free agency, by fighting against something called the reserve clause in baseball, which was like, you shouldn't be able to own me. I should be able to play on a team wherever I want to. But without Kurt Flood, we wouldn't have a LeBron James, who was one of our executive producers, and the, and the decision of being able to go wherever it is that he wanted to. And we have Kurt Flood to thank for that. He made a, a tremendous, tremendous sacrifice.
All right. Well, look, Andre, we certainly appreciate it. looks like that we're about to start uh, yeah. screening right now. So thank you very much for joining thank us you. and sharing your As thoughts. always, good to see you. All right. Thank you so yeah, very much. Thank you. thank you very much. Uh, folks, uh, we're going to switch over. We have the feed from uh, from them, correct? All right, so let's do this here. First of all, let me thank Monique, Robert, as well as Jason uh, for y'all joining us on today's show. Uh, what we're going to do, folks, we're going to actually switch over to the feed uh, from the program here so you can actually experience uh, this event as well. We want to thank the Jack Robinson Foundation, uh, Della, uh, Britain, for allowing us uh, to, to do this. Uh, we, look, we, look, we've been broadcasting since Monday. This is why Black Star Network was created to be able to cover these type of events that's happening in the black community uh, all across the country. Your support absolutely matters, and so we thank all of you for doing so. And so, so let's go to the stage. Adela Britton, who is speaking, she's the CEO of the Jackie Robinson Foundation. has long wanted to have a fixed tribute to Jackie where we could tell his full story and inspire others to recognize what one man can do and to step up and do their part for whatever issue they care about to make progress and hopefully to allow us to live up to the true American dream of equal opportunity for everyone. These are things I don't have to say to this audience. You guys get it. It's an exciting panel tonight. And I do want to say to Spring Hill, listen, we have gotten to know you. This is the second promotion we've done with you. The t-shirts of Jackie on your website. We are grateful to you, and I want to introduce the chief content officer after me, Jamal Henderson. Have a good time tonight, and thank you for being here. Good evening, good evening. Uh, this is a special one. We're really, really excited to be here. Thank you to the, the foundation. Thank you to Chevrolet. Uh, our partners at Chevrolet for, for helping make this happen. My name is Jamal Henderson. I, I'm the chief content officer at the Spring Hill Company. And this is a special film for us. Uh, this is the embodiment of more than an athlete. It's the reason why Mav and LeBron started the company. It's the reason why we're all here. Really excited that the whole team could be here. So shout out to all the Spring Hill people in the, in the place to be who made this happen. It's beautiful. Um, but, but really want to thank the Robinson family, want to thank Della, want to thank uh, the whole foundation. It's a beautiful museum. I hope you guys all get a chance to check it out. Um, I also want to acknowledge Andre Gaines in the building, our director, my man. What's up, brother? Uh, I want to thank the, the team at Firelight, Stanley Nelson, uh, that were a big part of this, Major League Baseball, a very big part of this. Uh, and, and, and everybody that was involved in the progress in, the, in this project. It's a, it's a really special one. So without further ado, guys, this is after Jackie.
fail being somebody they want me to be. I love this thing. I am more than an athlete. I'm still a human being that has a platform and a voice. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon. Serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Refreshing itself once more with new players, Eagerman, 
Among them, a talented athlete from the University of California at Los Angeles. His name was Jackie Robinson. After waiting a hundred years, these people legally free, not spiritually free, never morally free. But if the right man and ability on the field and with control of himself off the field, if I can find that kind of a man, the American public would accept him. Jackie Robinson smashes the double to left field. The Jackie Robinson story gets a tremendous amount of attention, all of it warranted. But the notion that he broke baseball's color barrier and then everything was fine is, of course, ludicrous. What we often are led to believe is that that was the end of the fight. The truth is that the struggles continued, and particularly three players, Bill White, Bob Gibson, and Kurt Flood, had to fight battles that Jackie didn't fight. And that changed the game. Bob Gibson, Kurt Flood, Bill White, those guys had opinions. They pushed back. They said, this is unacceptable. How can they do this? Not because I'm a professional athlete or because I'm a, a Negro even, but I, I am a human being. Those guys said, what does it matter what's happening on the field if what happens off the field for the players on the field is unsavory? Living outside of baseball was really difficult. We had more problems with trying to find places to live than trying to play the game. A lot of times you really wish somebody would do something about that. Believe me, a lot of times it's you. You're the one that's been chosen. It wasn't easy. Of course, what Jackie did wasn't easy either. Those guys had to be built differently just because what they went through every day. You know, we take that for granted. Thank God for them that they were able to go through it and, and make my life easier. And those are the, the four guys that should never die in Major League Baseball. If they didn't exactly go through what Jackie Robinson did as the first, they went through hell. Six decades before Jackie Robinson made history at Ebbets Field, baseball was flourishing across America's 38 states. In 1878, Bud Fowler, the son of an escaped slave, became the first black ball player to establish himself on an integrated professional roster, just over a decade after the abolishment of slavery. Baseball and, and African Americans have a unique history because of baseball's significance as a symbol of America. Moses Fleetwood Walker and his brother were other African-Americans who played in the 1880s. So if our forefathers helped build this, as your forefathers helped build this, this is a sign of great things to come. But what happens is the demise of black baseball pretty quickly. As the national pastime grew in popularity with integrated rosters, by July of 1887, the game's best player, Cap Anson, decided he no longer wanted to play on the same field as black ball players. Anson sent a telegram refusing to play an upcoming exhibition game. And by the next day, owners instituted a gentleman's agreement which prohibited black ball players from playing in the league. But we also have to consider the larger context, Jim Crow America. This was a time when African-Americans were being barred from competing in most aspects of, of society. 
the unofficial band would consume the sport for the next 60 years. Before 1947, before the color barrier was broken, the entire major leagues, American League and National League, was white. There were, of course, great players, but it was diminished league talent-wise because there were so many excellent players that never had a chance to compete in anything beyond an exhibition format. Black folks had to find a way to play. The skill was never the issue. Everybody knew the black folks could play baseball. That was the whole problem. Negroes have the chance to play baseball for pay only in a segregated league. Back in the days when I was coming up, a lot of black players would think about playing in the Negro League. And that was just like getting to the major leagues, you know, playing with the clowns, the Birmingham Black Barons or something like that. You know, if you ever got to playing with one of those teams, you've reached the major leagues. You've gotten as far as you can go. The talent for any fair observer was undeniable. Churches would plan their Sundays around being able to attend Negro League games. The Negro Leagues were one of the most successful businesses in the black community during the 1920s. White citizens also came to support because they knew they were watching some of the greatest baseball players of the day. The style of play in the Negro Leagues was different from the style of play that dominated Major League Baseball. You saw more daring base running, stealing home. Because athleticism was so emphasized as a matter of strategy, you know, like it's important, must have been just an incredible joy to watch live. In 1942, while hundreds of players served in World War II, including superstars like Ted Williams and Joe DiMaggio, organized baseball still stood firm on the unofficial ban against people of color. The racist policy prompted black journalists like Wendell Smith to publish a series of articles challenging the league segregation. Wendell Smith was an African-American sports writer for the Pittsburgh Courier, then the most important African-American newspaper in the United States. They had real megaphones when it came to the black community, and they weren't just sports writers. They were on a crusade to integrate Major League Baseball. Smith began identifying black superstars within the Negro Leagues and sought to convince owners of the immense talent that could transform the game. One of the most important moments he was involved in was a tryout for Jackie Robinson in 1945 with the Boston Red Sox. Ultimately, the Red Sox decided not to sign Jackie Robinson, but it also is a moment where Smith was using his influence to try to create opportunities for African-Americans. As clubs balked at his columns and organized workouts, there was one powerful baseball man who sought out the advice of Wendell Smith. Branch Rickey secretly makes plans to break baseball's color line. The dynamic, outspoken general manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers sees the Negro athlete as an untapped reservoir of talent. It was totally smart of Branch Rickey to rely on someone like Wendell Smith. He knew all the, the best black players, and he knew both who could perform well on the field, 
but had the sort of mental toughness to be able to be the first. Why was Jackie Robinson the person chosen? He was playing with the Kansas City Monarchs, but he probably wasn't the greatest player in the Negro Leagues. The reason Robinson was chosen was because there were factors beyond the game that mattered. Jackie had, if not comfort, but at least experience dealing with white people. He went to UCLA. He went to a school that was integrated. He had at least a little bit of context of coexisting in that kind of environment. And so these factors spoke to his character and his ability to navigate difficult racial situations. He was everything that I had hoped he would be at that moment. So when Brian Tricky meets with Jackie Robinson, and Jackie Robinson asks about, you know, what if this happens? What if that happens? Uh, Branch Rickey says to him, essentially, He had to know that he would be called these names and his mother would be attacked. And he had to realize that he must be able to handle himself under those dark conditions. I need someone with the power, with the strength, not to react to every taunt. It was going to be death threats. It was going to be bad, really bad, and not just in the South. It was going to be bad just about everywhere. All I can see is your black face, that black face right over me. So I haul off and punch you right in the cheek. What do you do? Mr. Ricky, I've got two cheeks. Branch Ricky knew what he was getting into, and that's why it was so important for him to get the right guy. Robinson played brilliantly and drew just the kind of huge crowds that Branch Ricky had hoped for. Sports presents one of those first real opportunities for black people to rise above their station as second-class citizens. So everybody's looking to Jackie. He is it, and people understand that every time he takes the field, this is history in the making. They want to be a part of that. They want to witness that. Jackie Robinson up. Well, the whole world was watching Jackie. Jackie rifles the shot into left field. The first Negro player to appear in an all-star game. The Brooklyn Dodgers speed merchant doesn't stop running until he flies to the second with a double. I think he brought something from the Negro League game that a lot of people don't realize, which is aggressiveness on the base pass. You know, it was a surprise element. Damn it, surprised the umpire. He was a jack of all trades, literally. You know, he played second base, played first base, played third base, played the outfield. He was a manager's dream where you can plug him in anywhere. An elite base run, an elite defensive player, you know, could, could hit, could, could do it all. Now, black fans of baseball, if they have money to go to one baseball game a week, they don't really want to go see the black players who are still playing on these segregated ball clubs. They want to go see Jackie. And there it was, a home run in the gathering twilight to give Brooklyn a 9-8 victory and a tie for the National League pennant. What Jackie was doing was telling people all over the world, if you can look at somebody play baseball, then you can live with them no matter what color they may be. Any team that wanted to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Dodgers eventually had to concede the racism and decide, yeah, we, we, we need that talent. What a future this youngster has. It took Mays fewer than eight seasons to become the only player in history to hit more than 200 home runs while stealing more than 200 bases. That very early wave of baseball players, one of the things that they proved was that they were great ball players. The generation that came after Jackie Robinson is no less heroic because 
these players went through grief and trials and tribulations in places that were far from being integrated, especially before they got to the big leagues. The Dodgers clinched the National League pennant late in September. Once more, they will face the Yankees in the World Series. For Jackie Robinson, there may not be another. Since 1947, the Dodgers have won the pennant four times. And four times they have lost to the New York Yankees in the World Series. By 1955, Jackie had become the elder statesman on the Dodgers. In the World Series opener of 1955, he stole home against Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford. At age 36, Jackie channeled the revolutionary speed and talent of his youth and helped the Dodgers finally get past the New York Yankees dynasty. As the team celebrated their first championship in franchise history, a new generation of leaders sought to change America. We don't have a right to be free. We have a duty to be free. So when you sit down on the bus and you sit down in the front or you sit down by a white person, you are sitting down because you have a duty to sit down, not merely because you have a right. On December 1st, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks was arrested for refusing to adhere to the segregated seating mandate on public buses. As the city became the epicenter of the burgeoning struggle for civil rights in America, 26-year-old Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was compelled to take action and was arrested for speaking out. Martin Luther King often credited Jackie Robinson for establishing a foundation for much of his work because before King developed the national prominence Jackie had it as Martin Luther King was serving time for his role in the Montgomery bus boycott on the field Jackie had begun to draw heavy criticism Jackie is a guy who likes to mouth off many say he's a troublemaker and Jackie himself admits my temper cost me my popularity Jackie Robinson dealt with a lot of things early in his career that I think over time, he may have carried a lot of anger for the things that he had to endure. He didn't push back in a manner where he was gonna show himself as being the angry black man that a lot of people wanted him to be. He just had to play the game and not respond to the evil that was out there, at least early on. And I believe the understanding was by the third season, he could then respond, especially on the field. So that's when you see him start to argue with umpires when he thought there was a bad call. Once told to turn the other cheek, Jackie could no longer tolerate getting spiked, threatened, or receiving biased calls based on the color of his skin. By the end of his career, he was seen as ungrateful, he was seen as too grand, and too demanding. Jackie Robinson was demanding equality. He was demanding opportunity for African Americans. But because he was unwilling to just be a symbol, he was booed at games, and he was often ostracized by reporters as well for not knowing his place. In the twilight of his baseball career, reporters call him the old gray fat man. His legs lack speed, agility, his reflexes are sluggish. Following the 1956 season, Jackie's diminished play on the field prompted the Dodgers to trade him to their crosstown rival, the New York Giants. 
With his best years behind him, Jackie elected instead to retire from baseball and pursue his passion as an activist. By the time Jackie Robinson retired, he was among the most hated men in baseball. But he wanted to be actively involved in the civil rights movement. He wanted to use his voice to push baseball to do better and to be more. What's the real reason you're giving up baseball? Well, because I'm 38 and I don't think that uh, my future is too bright in baseball. And I'm not going to stick around and be a fellow that's kicked around from pillar to post. When Jackie Robinson moved on from baseball, away from the awards, the trophies, the ceremonies, away from the place he had fought so hard to win for himself and his race, he faced another America. A political and economic America in which black people had not yet received their full share of equality. As the civil rights movement spread across the United States, Jackie found an ally in Dr. King. Their mutual admiration led to a partnership that thrust Jackie into the front lines of the fight for freedom and equality. The civil rights movement has shown that the way that African Americans are going to progress in society is to confront the continued racial inequality. I don't like to read about pregnant women being poked in the stomach by policemen and their nightsticks. I don't like to see young Negro kids of seven, eight, nine years old being thrown across the street. I believe that I must go down and say to the people down there, thank you for what you're doing, not only for me and my children, but I believe for America. So I'm going down to do whatever I possibly can. There is not a single Negro in these United States that hasn't made until the most underprivileged Negro in the deepest part of this South hasn't made. It was a little different right after Jackie. And as we enter into the 50s and 60s, we see that the sacrifice that was made didn't really turn out how we thought it would. Baseball had been integrated in as much as the roster being fielded had black players. Jim Crow America did not allow white and black people to coexist in many public and private spaces. Teammates that were actively oppositional, certainly opponents who did not want to get shown up by a Negro ball player. There was plenty of discrimination that these players faced despite their talents being used for the success of the ball club. Jackie Robinson opened the door and so many other great ball players walked through and had to go through their own hard experiences, even when they made it to the major leagues. Though Jackie Robinson's sacrifice integrated baseball, it hardly led to widespread equality after his retirement. We are in a real critical period. And they ought to look at the kinds of problems that they are subjecting our people to. And if they would look at the overall picture, I think they would take a tremendous pride in the contribution that the Negro has made to our country. For players like Willie Mays, Ernie Banks, and Frank Robinson, speaking out against segregation and bigotry was not always an available option. For real change, there had to be a group of men willing to carry Jackie's legacy to a place he could not. One such group of black ballplayers was forming in St. Louis, whose battles fought on and off the field would change the game and the country 
forever. We are, ladies and gentlemen, at the crossroads. We can either move forward or we can go back depending upon what our leader is set to do, knowing full well that until all receive equality, that none really have equality. Jackie Robinson was a very honest man about our society. And I think what Jackie Robinson did more than anything else, he gave the Bill Whites and the Bob Gibsons and the Kurt Floods the path on how to be able to get more things on a more equal plane, not only in the game, but certainly in society. By 1959, two years into his retirement from baseball, Jackie traveled the country to advocate for civil rights, especially in the Jim Crow South where his fight inspired the next generation rising through the league. In St. Louis, three young black ballplayers will soon battle opposing forces both on and off the field and bring real change to Major League Baseball and the nation. I'm, I'm from California. I'm from a laid-back laid society. I'm from a, a place where, where people do pretty much as they want to. Kirk grew up in this multiracial, multi-ethnic place. He was just the kind of person who could get along with everyone, but had this kind of left-brain creative side and also this um, super-athletic side. I'm from 50 miles south of, of Cleveland. We lived in segregated housing, but the education was fine. It was integrated. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. I played uh, summer baseball in, in little towns in Iowa and, and Minnesota and places where I was the only black person there. There was an opportunity that didn't exist in the ghetto. You didn't have the opportunity to go from being poverty stricken to being the president of the United States. The only way out was either in sports or being a doctor or something like that. And there's only going to be so many athletes and there's only going to be so many doctors, the rest of them are just out. In our public housing area, we had a baseball field. It kept us busy. It kept us out of trouble. And Jack was our first idol. I guess up until I started playing high school did I really start to say, if, if you're going to do it, you might as well be the best at it and really work my rear end off at doing it. The day Kurt turned 18 in January of 1956, he signs with the Cincinnati Reds. I think the whole experience from the moment he signed that contract was a rude awakening. First black player to play on Creighton's baseball team and basketball team. This is when I was 17 years old. We were halfway to Tulsa, Oklahoma to play a basketball game and coach came up and told me that I had to go stay across town. Couldn't stay with the rest of the team. And I, was, I started crying because it hurt me. If he had told me that before I left, uh, for that trip, I wouldn't have gone, and I told him that, and he said, yes, I know that. That's why I didn't tell you. Bob Gibson had to find something that he could concentrate on to just channel all of his anger and energy into one thing. It happened to be pitching a baseball. I signed at Omaha. Omaha was triple-A team. I played a year and a half in the minor league baseball before I went to St. Louis. When I was 18 years old, I signed with the Giants. The Giants uh, sent me to Danville, Virginia. I was the only black player in the league. They shouldn't have sent me there. There were problems. Got a lot of nicknames there. Negative racial nicknames. But, I, you know, I took it out on the baseball. Anything they wanted to call me. Yes, the nigger was just whatever. 
And I got in trouble once. They're calling me everything, and I gave them the finger. And after the ball game, taking a shower, and our bus driver comes in and says, hey, you guys, you better get bats. We all got bats, and we walked out to our bus. And as we left, of course, they threw rocks at our bus. And that was a part of baseball. Despite making his major league debut with the Giants, Bill White arrived back from military service before the 1958 season and was stunned to find a team that had no position for him. And I think for the first time a player said, trade me, that was me. I told him, look, can't play, trade me. And uh, that upset uh, our general manager. And uh, he sent me to the Cardinals, which was the best thing ever happened to me. Short right field fence, 303 down the line, straight across. We had a lot of fun. He was a good hitter, hit nearly 300 career-wise. Bill White knows why he made the National League All-Star team. And he was really good around the bag. Classy first baseman as far as the smoothness of him. His gold gloves would certainly prove that. If Bill White's trade to St. Louis demonstrated the fragile nature of a big league career, Kurt Flood's trade to the Cardinals reinforced it. Here's somebody who's suffered through two years of the minor leagues, finally gets to the major leagues, when the Reds realize we have too many black players on our team, and they basically trade Kurt for nothing to the St. Louis Cardinals. He vowed that he would never get traded ever again. Kurt wore number 42 in the minor leagues. After he got traded to the St. Louis Cardinals, he took half of Jackie's number, 21. This is Kurt Flood, smallest man in the Cards outfield. Kurt Flood changed our whole dynamic as far as speed is concerned. There he goes. And Flood swipes up. Kurt Flood was one of the best defenders in the game. Kurt Flood, defensive center fielder. Keep go get him. Father's a great musician. He played great blues. And as, as only a musician can be, a perfectionist that he was and he gave me that wonderful gift bolstered by the acquisitions of flood and white the cardinals missing link was the homegrown talent of future hall of famer bob gibson the hard-throwing unorthodox gibson made his debut in 1959 and after making limited relief appearances in his first three seasons he would eventually become one of the most feared starters in major league baseball I've heard this story about Bob Gibson a lot. He was throwing at guys and throwing up and in and, you know, doing different things to intimidate guys. Looking at guys like Gibson, he was a different beast. You know, he, he says he never hit anybody. They just didn't get out of the way. So it was, that was his thing. He's like, I'm going to own half of the plate. The inside portion of the plate is something that was no man's land as far as your own health and safety was concerned, which is why Bob Gibson had one of the nastiest sliders in the history of the game. Bob had only two pitches, fastball, slider. He said, Tim, if you can count to two, you can catch me. Struck him out in a place. We were talking about old baseball players. And Babe Ruth came up, and, and Bob Gibson said, hey, if a guy pointed where he was going to hit my next pitch, I would drill him right in his right ear and out his left ear. <laughs> and I, hey, I believe he would have done it too, even to Babe Ruth. As White, 
Flood and Gibson arrived on the scene in 1959. Success was not immediate. Finishing their first season together in seventh place. But the adversity on the field couldn't compare to the mistreatment and difficulties that all black players face off the field, regardless of their talent. In spring training, Les would take the white players to their hotel. Somehow they would have found a black home that would uh, take the black players and the dark Hispanic players. The only other teams in the South were Jacksonville, Florida, and Atlanta, Georgia. In those two cities, the, the players of color could not stay in the hotel. There were all sorts of problems back in those days. And you were expected to perform. You had all of these other problems away from the field, which certainly uh, weighed on you. It was during this turbulent time that Wendell Smith once again gave voice to black players, writing articles that shined light on the challenges they face, especially in the Jim Crow South. What Wendell Smith was showing is we're 14 years since Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball, and we're still treating black players like second-class citizens when they have to go play in the South. Bob and Bill and Kurt had to fight battles to become Major League stars. what Jackie had to do to integrate Major League Baseball. In order to get him prepared for that, the Dodgers didn't send him south. They sent him to Montreal. And also when they had spring training, instead of going to Florida, they went to Cuba. When we think about the subsequent years after that, players had to go down to Florida, had to go down to the deep south where the laws of segregation were really strict. When you went to Florida for spring training, it made no difference that you were a ball player. They were going to have to deal with the same issues that another black person would have to in the Jim Crow South. This is an historic land where life still holds the flavor and color of the old South. St. Petersburg, Florida where each year the big league players come for their annual spring training under the warm, tropical Florida sun. I grew up in St. Petersburg. We grew up with Jim Crow. There were places you couldn't go. For example, if you wanted a cab, you had to take the black cab company. It was explained to me as a kid that we were not members of the club. It's just not the things we're used to down here. I mean, they come in and they sit down and we're not used to them sitting down beside us because I wasn't raised with them. I never have lived with them and I'm not going to start now. The Bainbridge Hotel is where the, the Cardinals headquarters were. It's a train station. It was right across the street from the hotel. You could see the, the hotel from uh, where I walked out the door. I took my bag and went into the Bainbridge and I said, my name is... Bob Gibson, and I'm with the Cardinals, and you're supposed to have a place for me. And uh, he says, yeah, we have a place for you. He said, you go out that door right over there, and then right outside, there's a cab sitting there. You tell him you want him to take you to Mrs. Johnson. That's where all the guys are staying. I said, all the guys are staying there? He says, yeah, pretty much. 
the white players would stay and with the white players, and the black players would go to a place called Colored Town. I really was disappointed because I knew that that stuff existed, but I'd never really run into it where it was as blatant as it was. They were right in your face. The St. Louis Cardinals loosen up their dormant muscles at spring training at Alang Field in St. Petersburg. Jim Crow had such a handicap on, like, teammate co cohesion. Because, like, if you're black and you're not allowed to stay in a decent hotel, why would you bring your wife or your children to suffer those indignities? You know, that means that, like, families don't get together. Those friendships don't coalesce or develop. There was a uh, discussion in my mother's kitchen involving Kurt Flood, Bill White, and Elston Howard regarding the St. Pete Yacht Club. And for years, the black players were not invited. Yacht Club would always have a breakfast for the Cardinals during spring training. One day I looked at the list and said, wait a minute, how come there are no black players on that list? Bill White and his teammates turned to civil rights pioneer in St. Petersburg, Dr. Ralph Wimbish. My dad, he was a doctor. He was president of the NAACP. He was always doing something, particularly against uh, uh, the racial climate at the time. Uh, Bill White used to call him the devil because my dad would always be raising hell with white folks. <laughs> we all would eat at Dr. Wimbish's house maybe two, three times a week. And we'd sit around and basically talk about the problems that we were having, you know, as far as racially was concerned. And we had somebody who was embedded in a community that was on our side, which was really good. Dr. Wimbish started thinking about the things the players were going through. And uh, we said, let's do something about it. Cardinals had always gone to him to find housing for black players. And one day, uh, as part of his uh, boycott, he says, I'm not going to do that anymore. Major league clubs like the Yankees and Cardinals were stunned by the refusal of Dr. Wimbish to help them find segregated accommodations for black players. And news quickly spread around the country as notable writers such as Alex Haley and Wendell Smith brought nationwide attention to the issue. The Yankees, in response, left town. They went to... Uh... Fort Lauderdale, after the Yankees said they would leave town, my dad got death threats, phone calls, that we had a cross burner in our yard. To force the Cardinals to look at their own role in the spring training housing dilemma, Bill White met with the owner, August Bush, chairman and heir to the Budweiser Brewing Empire. I'm, I'm not sure how Bill met with, with August Bush, but he did and he explained the problem, which I'm sure he knew it was anyway. So it meant a lot for the Cardinals, players black and white, to go and confront their owner and say, we don't want to do this anymore. By demanding better treatment for black players on the team, that creates a, a fertile ground for friendships to really arise. The issue hit home for August Bush when he was faced with the financial pressure of a Budweiser boycott, which had sold more beer to the black community than any other beer company in the country. And August Bush worked it out to buy a hotel, I think it was, the Outrigger Inn. They bought the motel, they cleared up everything. We became all about the St. Louis Cardinal baseball. Cardinal fans from St. Louis would always come by and see 
It was well integrated. Swimming pools, my kids went down, everybody's swimming together. We decided to have barbecues and we got to know each other better. And I think that's what made us a better team. We had a harmonious situation, but Bill White was responsible for that. You know, to, to demand this kind of equality was very much in sync with where the civil rights movement was going at that point. City of St. Petersburg uh, changed a lot of things, and it wasn't done right away, it was done gradually. So uh, baseball did force the South to make a lot of changes. What I find fascinating is the Cardinals' spring training story is 15 years after Jackie Robinson broke baseball's color barrier. The problem doesn't go away. For many of these players, the fact that they had to go through what they went through years after Robinson broke baseball's color barrier says a lot about how slowly things changed and how they were part of helping things change as well. It wasn't just Jackie Robinson, although he and his spirit obviously led the way. The Cardinals won their battle in St. Pete, but as they began the 1961 season, it became evident that escaping the hatred and bigotry of the times was a more formidable obstacle, even in their own locker room. Lots of running and exercises are on the menu for the Redbirds, as Sally Hemus wants his charges in prime condition for the long season ahead. The Cardinals began the 1961 season as a team that had come together during spring training. But the unity displayed off the field hardly translated to positive play on it. And by mid-June, the team, although packed with talent, was eight games below 500. At the forefront of the problem was the manager, Sally Hemus. Manager Sally Hemus summons relief base Lindy McDaniel. Sally Hemus had these predisposed notions about Kurt and about Bob. There was an element of racism there, like he didn't recognize their intelligence. Yeah, I had problems with our manager. I, he didn't like me, I didn't like him. He didn't have much confidence in Gibson, so much so that when they would have the pitchers meetings and go over the hitters before games, so you wouldn't even Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. 
Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com include Gibson. He didn't think Bob Gibson... He put Kurt Flood in the outfield and made him one of the best defensive center fielders the game has ever seen. And he took Bob Gibson out of the bullpen and made him a starter. Batting ninth and pitching number 45, Bob Gibson. Of course, after he took over in St. Louis, then you know, I can't say it was smooth sailing. Then I had to, I had to really learn how to play ball before I was just trying to survive. Now there goes Bob Gibson rolling out to the mound. The black players that were not playing under Salahimas were played under Johnny Keane. It was no question about making a big difference in that Cardinal team. Under Johnny Keane, the 1961 Redbirds dug their way out of the cellar, but still finished in fifth place. In January 1962, with the season over and the team preparing for spring training, Jackie Robinson invited Bill White, Kurt Flood, and a handful of prominent athletes to a rally in Mississippi. While White was unable to attend, Flood jumped at the opportunity. After 61, Jackie did something for Kurt that I think opened Kurt's eyes, that Kurt could use his celebrity as a baseball player, not just to affect change in baseball, but to affect change in the wider world, that Kurt could be part of the civil rights movement you know, that was growing every day. Jackie invited Kurt Flood to go to an NAACP rally in Jackson, Mississippi. And Kurt was not going to say no to his idol. My baseball career is uh, just starting. Many of you, I, I'm sure, have never heard about me. But this career with the NAACP 
It's just starting as well. It took courage to go to an NAACP rally in Jackson, Mississippi. They were literally putting their lives on the line and they knew it. Kurt and Jackie and Medgar Evers were being surveilled 24-7 down there. We'll be demonstrating here until freedom comes to Negroes here in Jackson, Mississippi. Months later, Medgar Evers was shot in the back and killed. This is the 1960s we're talking about, where the civil rights movement was getting louder, the need for equality more explicit. I think that one day, white Americans are going to take a real good look at themselves and recognize the harm that they're doing to America, not to black people, but to America. What happens inside of Bush Stadium is not necessarily representative of the lives that those players have lived outside of the stadium. It had a lot to do with, uh, with a guy's outlook on, uh, on life, not just in baseball, but what happens around you. But as an athlete, they don't expect those types of things to affect you, so you're supposed to go out and do your job. But being human, it, it has some effect on you. And here's a home run by Jim Norton. Uh, when I go out there from the first pitch to the last, I give everything I got, and if I run out of gas before uh, the game's over, we've got uh, nine other guys to go The 60s was a very challenging time in our society. If you watched how elegant and how professional Bill White, Bob Gibson, Kurt Flood were, that team was special because of everything that was going on in the country. No matter what kind of programs uh, have been instituted since the Voting Rights Act and the uh, Civil Rights Act, the cities are still in decay. And so the Cardinals, uh, I think, embody that anger. A slow start to the 1964 season created a substantial gap between the Cardinals and the red-hot Philadelphia Phillies. By July, St. Louis was 11 games behind the first-place Phillies. Desperate for a mid-season spark, the Cardinals traded for an underperforming outfielder who immediately caught fire and never looked back. Lou Brock lines a single to left center field. In 64, Lou Brock is traded from the Cubs to the Cardinals. He's headed right after a record set by legendary Ty Cobb. When Lou Brock signed, changed our whole dynamic. When he was with the Cubs, they said, you, you can't run. You're not fast enough to run and steal bases. Well, when he got to the Cardinals, they told him, whenever you think time is ready, run. There goes that man again. His second stolen base of the game, and his thievery promptly pays off. St. Louis had always been a team who could rally late in the season. Like through history, the Cardinals had been a team, if they're two or three games out, going into September, uh, they could catch in the finish line. Despite holding a six-and-a-half game lead with 12 games to go, the Phillies collapsed. And eight days later, the Cardinals had a chance to overtake first place. A bouncing ball, this should do it! The Cardinals are in first place! We were just team that uh, was used to playing together and used to playing uh, hard. We were hungry and we expected to win. To complete one of the most remarkable comebacks in the history of sports, the Cardinals needed to beat the Mets in the final game of the season to win the National League pennant. If you've never heard Mr. Gussie Bush excited, you just heard him over my shoulder. Let's go!
It's been a hectic thing, but it's all worth it. Most of us felt an aura about us that made us very special. And I guess it had to do with, with a, a lot with the fact that we were such a mixed up group of guys and, and that we were overcoming all of the prejudice and all the BS. During that very, very difficult time, there was something about us that, 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 uh, that drew us together. Even within the troubles that we were having as blacks and as whites. And here we were living together and winning together and, and sharing together and, and enjoying each other. And it, was just, it was an amazing turn of events. After 162 games played, we won it all in the National League. It was a miracle finish. Now, all of a sudden, we went on to the Yankees in the World Series. They were the New York Yankees. They didn't lose. St. Louis in 1964 is celebrating the 200th anniversary of its founding, and the Cardinals dramatically climaxed that celebration by winning their first pennant in 18 years. And here again are the New York Yankees. They've been in 15 of the last 18 World Series. The big bag New York Yankees. The greatest franchise in sports. They had won by far more world championships than any other team. They played a slower, station-to-station -station brand of baseball. With the exception of Elson Howard, were basically all white. Here's the windup. Yankees, being among the last to integrate, depended on the home run. As the Cardinals came along, and, and it was a different style of play. Alex Blood, who's threatening to steal. There he goes. Yankees are home run hitters, or base stealers. They had speed, they had talent, they had defense, they had power. The Cardinals' style of play reminds us of the Negro Leagues that's rooted in an earlier history. It shows that the paradigm has shifted, that you can put a better team on the field and a different kind of team on the field. Buoyed by the momentum of a historic pennant comeback, a sold-out crowd filled Sportsman's Park to witness the clash of styles that pitted the old way of the game versus the new. For baseball to be a showcase for black excellence, for people at the absolute top of their craft, it shows that given an opportunity to shine, we can. All the Cardinals are ready and alert. Here comes Sebecki's pitch to fill in, and the series is underway. Downing now faces Kurt Flood. And the little center fielder drives the ball deep to left field. Lou Brock picks on the next pitch, wraps a double into the left field corner. Being in the World Series, to be able to play gives you a personal satisfaction of being the best that particular year. And we all would like to be the best, whatever it is. Gibson pitches a wild. Tom Trash singles the center. The Yankees lead two to one. We knew that we had to keep the fast players of Brock and Flood off the bases. He was going to be a well-contested uh, uh, series. Mantle tears into it with a terrific cut. Shannon races to the fence, but it's a futile gesture. What a wallop. It's Sunday in New York. Yankee Stadium is packed again. Race. Boyer checks his swing. The ball rolls to Bill White for the final out. The Cardinals win it. Four to three. It meant something for the Cardinals not only to just be facing them, but to have this incredible.
incredible, intense tug of war against Mickey Mantle, against Whitey Ford, against all the race of their day. But the Cardinals, they had Bob Gibson. Bob Gibson raises the fastball, has hard swinging Mickey Mantle. One of the reasons I was so effective in the World Series was because the players on the other team in the other league, they didn't know that much about me. The two out Gibson with tremendous stuff at this point also strikes out Joe Pepitone. Their team success was dependent on their excellent star level black players. Brock cracks a single to right field. Gibson spinning home at the first run. There was one play that happened. We had Mano first and second. I think we had uh, two outs. And Bob Gibson was on the mound. And Bob's legend hadn't really been cemented at that point. And Joe Pepitone came up and he hits a line drive through the middle and paramed off towards the third baseline. I went over and with one motion I picked the ball up, jumped and turned and threw the first. And of course we got Pepitone by a half a step. I think there was another pitcher in baseball could have made that play, but Bob Gibson. And plays like that just turned the whole game around because you start saying, wow, these guys, they're, they're really as good as advertised. Facing elimination in game six, the Yankees turned to their veteran core of Mantle and Maris. who were no strangers to the pressure of baseball's biggest stage. But Maris doesn't miss this one. On the pavilion roof for a home run. Fair by only a foot or two. With Mantle up, Flood gets ready. On Simmons' next pitch, Mantle pours all his power into his swing. There it goes, over the roof. Next up is Kurt Flood, and he grounds to shot. Flood is up. It's a double play. Forced the series into a final seventh game. Sometimes I think we latch into cliché when we talk about the merits of team and team chemistry. It always seems that a team that wins has great team chemistry. But there is something to that, that if ballplayers go through something together, it does bond them. That was part of the chemistry for the Cardinals, that when they finally stood up and said, we're not going to live in separate places, we're all going to live together, and our families are going to be together, that that helped them eventually get to the World Series. If we played our game, and if we, if we played up to whatever that potential was, then we're going to beat you. Bob Gibson will work with only two days rest. If you're tired during the World Series, then you have a problem. I don't care how many innings or how many games you've played. Winning the game and winning the World Series, uh, that was important. 500 sports writers are waiting to describe the action to the world. In the second inning, the Yankees have the bases loaded with two outs. But Gibson gets Stottlemyre on strike stand the threat. Lou Brock rips from the Downing's first pitch. A tremendous drive. It might be out of here. It could be. It is. A home run. In the Yankees' sixth inning with Richardson on second and Myers on first, Gibson just keeps firing free and easy. Mantle felt a powerful drive to left center. An opposite to a home run. McCarver talks to Gibson, who still needs one more out. Tim McCarver caught me uh, probably uh, three-fourths of my career. I used to joke with Tim a lot about, <clears throat> about pitching. I told him, you know, the only thing he knows about pitching is hard to hit. So don't come out telling me what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing wrong. When I asked you to come out to the mound, then come out to the mound. I never caught anybody 
quite like Bob. He could figure out what type of stuff I had on any particular day, and he knew what pitch to go with, what situation. And that's when people that didn't know Gibson saw Gibson really pitch in the clutch and, uh, you know, become a World Series hero. And then he comes into the national spotlight. The weary Gibson reaches back for something extra. Richardson pops up. Al Maxville gathers it in. The Cardinals are the new world champions. Gibson, Boyer, and McCarver join in a big bear hunt. I think we were happy and we threw the gloves up and we did all that. Uh, we cheered and we grabbed each other. This wasn't a celebration where all the white guys were hugging each other and all the black guys were hugging each other. It was everybody hugging each other because they shared the common goal of success in winning a World Series. The way things came together with all the other things that were going on in this country, it was the one time where everybody felt good about being an American. They beat the New York Yankees, the premier sports dynasty of its time and perhaps ever. Any of those Cardinals players from that 64 team that beat the Yankees, back when white and black players had each other's backs, speaking to their ownership, demanding better treatment for black players. That is where the Cardinals trace the lineage of their championship success. But their biggest battles, both on and off the field, were still to come. Cardinals 1964 World Series victory over the Yankees sent a message to baseball and by the mid-1960s the prominence of black stars was growing across major league rosters. When the racially integrated St. Louis Cardinals take down the white New York Yankees it shows the power of National League in terms of integration. For the black Cardinals the World Series celebration was short-lived during the 1964 offseason, the harsh reality of being black in America came into stark focus, especially for Kurt Flood. Their celebrity only went so far. After the Cardinals won the 1964 World Series, Kurt had gotten back together with his first wife. They decided to return to the Bay Area, and they tried to rent a home in a town called Alamo, California. The person who owned the house found out that the person renting the house was black. And he threatened Kurt. And he said, I'm going to be out there with a shotgun, and if you move into that house, I'm going to shoot you dead. How can they do this? Not because I'm a professional athlete or because I'm a, a Negro even, but I, I am a human being. It's sad that people just want athletes in a, in a certain way. They just want to be entertained by them on the field, and they don't want to hear what they have to say off the field. And Kurt went into court and got a court order and armed police protection, and they moved into that house. Prejudice is, is not only confined to the southern part of our United States, and if they, if they move their mustache and look under their nose, they find it right here at home, too. You have black players succeeding on the field, and in many cases, getting along very well with their teammates. But there was this prevailing idea that because black people and white people were so intrinsically different, there's no way that they could culturally occupy the same spaces. For Flood, the experience was painfully similar to what his mentor, Jackie Robinson, had endured a decade earlier. 
We were put through the usual bag of tricks right in this state. At first, we were told that the house we were interested in had been sold just before we inquired. And once we met a broker who told us he would, he would like to help us find a home, but his clients were against selling to Negroes. Every generation has its own fight. And because prior generations fought other battles, they're able to push for more and to demand more. By the end of the 1965 season, the Cardinals found themselves in a disappointing seventh place. In an effort to get back on top, the organization would rebuild around Flood, Brock, Gibson, and McCarver while trading veterans like Bill White. Bob and Bill had a conversation one night, and Bob said, Bill, one of these days they're going to trade us, one of us, from this ball club. We're not going to be together. Bill said, nah, don't worry about it, man. It's, it's not going to happen. Well, the very next year, Bill White gets traded to Philadelphia. First baseman, Bill White, obtained from the Cardinals along with Grote in an off-season trade. Philadelphia had a bad reputation as a place for black ball players. Philadelphia gave Jackie Robinson a harder time than any other team in the major leagues. That was a place that did not have the reputation that the Cardinals franchise had. Bill, being a great communicator, uh, understood what was at stake, was able to handle it in a very elegant manner. Ownership's all-in bet on the core of Flood, Brock, and Gibson paid off. In 1967, the Cardinals won over 100 games and earned a chance at a second World Series victory in four years. They would face the Boston Red Sox, the last team to integrate in all of Major League Baseball, a full 12 years after Jackie Robinson joined the Dodgers. And there go the Cardinals. A Cardinals team that's ready to be a great team, and they were winning the World Series in 1964, uh, going back in 67. They were set up to be a great team, and they were a great team throughout the 1960s. And back in those days, you pitched nine innings, and, and what really made you angry if you had a reputation of being a guy that couldn't finish a ball game. Gibson has a two-hitter and a 7-2 lead. Now one out from victory. Gibson makes a supreme effort and stops right up. The Cardinals win. They're the new world champions. We won it again in 1967. Sure was a lot of fun being on those teams. Blacks, whites, up and down. Didn't matter. And Bob Gibson, with his third victory, has brought them through in the decisive seventh game. You have to remember between 64 and 68, when they're going to these three World Series, you know, you had the Harlem riots of 64. Then you had Detroit in 67 and Newark. In an era where, you know, the, there was so much civil unrest, they play like pros, they play like champions. They showed how blacks and whites could work together to achieve the common goal of success in winning a World Series. This was a difficult time. This is the decade of assassination where people like Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, Medgar Evers, all lost their life because they were engaged in creating greater opportunities for African Americans. Like things that were happening in 68 martin luther king assassination and the riots did that affect you at all oh yeah it sure did and my personality and, and what i was is, is as a result of what happens around you and uh, a lot of times when you when you come into the ballpark and you're in a nasty mood and you start reflecting on your childhood and what has happened over the years and and uh it has a great effect on you having gibson as the the focal point of that team embody that anger. I have this killer instinct 
that black people didn't really get to really express themselves that way or exhibit. So they could vicariously live through this guy that comes out to the mound and just throws smoke. The 1968 season was dubbed the year of the pitcher, and in the National League, Bob Gibson dominated with the lowest earned run average baseball had seen in a half century, leading the Cardinals to the brink of winning back-to-back -back World Series. Facing familiar Game 7 pressure, the Cardinals turned to their ace. Base hit, and the Tigers now made their first threat with two out bases by Cash and Horton. So there were a number of things that went on in the World Series, but Kirk Flood's play, or the play he didn't make, things didn't go well after that. He's got one out of nine against the pitching of Gibson, and that was a home run. Fly ball, Flood. Hey, on the front, he mistakes it over his head. Who runs are going to score? And he started over, something happened to his underfooting. Watch this now. Flood very rarely has ever uh, misjudged a ball out there. Flood's uncharacteristic mistake would partly cost the Cardinals the World Series in 1968. I didn't think the ball was hit as well as it was. And then when I realized it, I tried to re reverse my feeling. You're coming back next year. First of all, we'll see you the same time right here next year. Unbeknownst to the Cardinals' core, everything was about to change, especially for Kurt Flood. What happened to Flood, considered the best center fielder in the National League? Kurt says the ball got lost momentarily in the white-shirted background. No doubt he lost sight of it, and then almost lost his footing. Kurt Flood was considered one of the best center fielders in baseball, which amplified the shock of his Game 7 misplay in the 1968 World Series. At the beginning of the offseason, Flood approached August Bush with a request for a raise. His current salary of $90,000 was amongst the highest in the league. Ownership was floored. He went to the owner, Augustus Bush, and said that he thought he deserved $120,000 a year and would have made him the top paid player in baseball, or at least comparable to the top paid players. And that rankled Gussie Bush, the owner of the St. Louis Cardinals, who saw Kurt Flood, I think, as an ungrateful athlete all the power was in the hands of the major league owners the players had no power there was no free agency because of the reserve system since the early days of professional baseball a short clause was inserted into every major league contract which gave owners unilateral authority to renew yearly deals known as the reserve clause players were effectively bound to the same team for life and owners were allowed to pay them whatever they thought the players were worth. We abolished slavery with the 13th Amendment, and what the Reserve Clause did is it indentured players subject to the owner's whim. So Kurt did the only thing in that Reserve Clause era that a player could do, which is refuse to sign. And that created all sorts of animosity and bad blood to start the 69 season and then he doesn't have a great year he's showing signs of decline near the end of the season august bush made a shocking change 
unwilling to deliver the message himself, Bush sent a public relations employee, blindsiding Flood with the news that he and Tim McCarver had been traded to the last place, Philadelphia Phillies. You've just traded two of the mainstays off the three-time World Series appearance team. And then he's shipped off to the worst team in the major leagues. How does he know that the Philadelphia Phillies are the worst team in the major league for black players? Because Bill White's told him. I said, if I don't want to go to Philadelphia, why should I really have to? Why should I have to go? Is this America or where are we anyway? Sometimes people don't understand and they don't put the two together. This is the civil rights movement. There are people being lynched, little children being bombed, wanting their civil rights, their rights to do what the Constitution says you have a right to do. Kurt said, here I am in a profession that does not give me that basic right. I, I talked with Marvin Miller, who was in the, the director of uh, the Players Association. He said, Kurt's going to kill you. He said, but if you really want to do this, it is a good time for it to be done because it is right. It is a good time to be done because one person really should not be able to own another person. Miller said, you'll never get another job in the major leagues again. You're going to be ostracized. You are going to be on the outside of this game, looking in not unlike his hero, Jackie Robinson. Flood refused to report to the Phillies and instead sued organized baseball for his freedom. They say baseball is the all-American sport. Well, when you think about the all-American sport, you would think of some something democratic. But nevertheless, these things do not hold true as far as baseball is concerned. Not when, the, when you can be sold like, like they did in 1890. You're a man who makes $90,000 a year, which isn't exactly slave wages, what you were taught to that. Uh, a well-paid slave is nonetheless a slave. As his case went through the court system, Flood elected to take a year off, at which time the Phillies traded his rights to the Washington Senators. Desperately needing the money, Flood attempted a major league comeback in 1971. The comeback is really, it just gets sadder. He was less than satisfied with his performance so far, and we were all some disappointed. We thought he would um, come along quicker. The shell of the player he once was Flood had a front row seat to the hate that festered towards him every day. Angry fans who had once cheered his dazzling plays in center field now said he was killing the game and greeted him with beer cans and racial slurs as his back was turned to the outfield. When he shows up at RFK and there's a black wreath in Kurt's locker, Kurt says, well, if somebody can get to my locker, that means they can get to me. After 21 games, Kurt just leaves and he just gets on a flight from Mallorca, Spain and he sends um, the senators a telegram said I just can't do it and he basically exiles himself to Spain where he's basically becomes destitute in March of 1972 after 11 months of his self-imposed exile flood received word that his suit reached the United States Supreme Court the now retired player returned home ready to plead his case and armed with the legal backing of a former Supreme Court justice named Arthur Goldberg. It was not easy when, he, when they went to trial and none of his teammates stood up. Bob Gibson was Kurt's best friend. And he said to Kurt, he said, buddy, I'm behind you, but I'm going to be 30 steps behind you. I guess it would have been support 
but I was concerned about me and my family and making a living, and I didn't want to be in the middle of that at all. Only three people testified on Kurt's behalf. Bill Beck, the maverick owner of the Cleveland Indians and Chicago White Sox, Hank Greenberg, the Hall of Fame first baseman from the Detroit Tigers, and Jackie Robinson. When Jackie Robinson, who was suffering from diabetes, he was going blind, and he had a cane, walked down the middle of that courtroom, and he stopped, and he whispered in Kurt's ear, and he said, keep your head up, you're doing the right thing. That meant everything to Kurt Flood. When that happened, he had all of his doubts dissipated. Kurt, I think, saw the link between what he was doing and what Jackie was doing. And Jackie's willingness, even at the end of his life, even when his health was failing, to stand up for Kurt meant the world to him. As Flood's case went on, his lawyer Arthur Goldberg froze in front of his former colleagues and was unsuccessful in arguing that the league was violating federal antitrust and civil rights laws. In a 5-3 to three decision, the court affirmed that professional baseball and its reserve clause were immune from these violations on the notion that baseball was not interstate commerce. It was a painful way to lose, and Kurt couldn't get past it. Kurt thought that race had something to do um, with the way um, that his case was decided. He gave up everything. He gave it all up for the principle of, I own me. No one else can own me. And he really believed in this country and the rights that everyone should have. What he did for baseball is he was like, hey, I got my family here. <laughs> I'm not going. My kids go to school here. I'm not going. And that started a change for baseball. One guy's small idea turned in that everybody in the world who plays this sport can prosper from. I, I think every person that has a good idea that's never been tried before, uh, he is the one that's going to probably suffer. And the, the people that are, are first are probably the ones that get castigated probably the most. Baseball has known many moments of greatness in its long history, but none has been as significant or compelling as that April 15th afternoon, 25 years ago, when Jackie Robinson and eight other Dodgers took the field for his appearance at first base. Baseball had come of age. At the 1972 World Series, less than two weeks before he would die, Jackie Robinson addressed the world of baseball. And people thought he was going to use that moment to just celebrate his career and the progress in baseball. I'm extremely proud and pleased to be here this afternoon, but must admit I'm going to be tremendously more pleased and more proud when I look at that third base coaching line one day and see a black face managing in baseball. Thank you very much. He reminded people that it had been 25 years since he integrated the game and there were no African-American managers. And it wouldn't be until 1974, 27 years after Jackie Robinson integrated the game, that Frank Robinson would be named 
as the player manager of the Cleveland Indians. On October 24, 1972, Jackie Robinson suffered a fatal heart attack just nine days after his final public appearance. To his last breath, he was fighting for baseball to diversify across every level of the sport. Jackie helped set an example of how uh, people could come together that laid the groundwork for the rest of us to come in. So I think baseball has done a pretty good job of helping this country get away from the negativity of segregation. Bill White was traded back to the Cardinals where he would retire in 1969. After 13 years of breaking barriers in the big leagues, he became the first to break the color barrier in broadcasting. When he transitioned out of the game into broadcasting, you have to remember nobody at that time looked like us on the air, whether it was radio or TV. There was no one before him that was in that position. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. Oh, what it takes to even get to being a color analyst as a brother, it takes so much more than what it takes everybody else. And that's what he represents. We need to see African-Americans in all aspects of the game, in particular in the thinking and leadership positions. Broadcasting allows African-Americans to demonstrate a broad knowledge base of the game, which then hopefully helps create greater opportunities in the front office. After a 17-year broadcasting career with the Yankees, Bill White set his sights on another first for African-Americans, becoming the first black president of a major sports league. You all know this man, and I am not going to take up any more time. I simply would like to introduce William D. White, 13th president of the National League. Thank you. Bill White was one of the first in all of sport, not just baseball, all of sport, who could do something within the front office or within administration of the game. My job then was to try to get more people into administrative jobs. I think that made a great impact on the lives of people. He's a direct pathway to what we're doing today. He was the foundation. He was the first. It is really important that we continue that legacy. I hope to bring a little more harmony between the players and the uh, administration. Bill White, in my opinion, is the second most influential African-American behind Jackie Robinson in the game of baseball. Bob Gibson spent his entire 17-year career with the St. Louis Cardinals and retired in 1975, having accomplished nearly every accolade possible at the most commanding and cerebral position on the field. He left the game having inspired the next generation of black aces to defy stereotypes and was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1981. Bob Gibson's legacy should be that he was a fierce competitor and he was one of the greatest clutch or playoff or World Series pitches that ever lived. He was like the Michael Jordan of baseball. He was just win at all costs, no nonsense. Bob was crucial in being able to go out and dominate and, you know, really change the game. They changed the mound because of this man. Baseball lowered the mound after the 1968 season because he was so dominant change the balance of power between the pitchers and the hitters forever you know having a chance to see somebody on the mound that looked like me just you know gave me that inspiration to go out and try to try to be a, a major league player and 
be a part of, of history now, looking back on it, um, you know, calling myself a black ace and being a part of that group is special to me. I remember one of the problems in baseball was a myth that black guys couldn't play shortstop and couldn't pitch because it was a position where you really need to think. <laughs> you need to think a lot. But uh, took over, then that myth just went by the wayside. In the years following the unceremonious end to Kurt Flood's career, he again left the country to escape. By 1975, four years after he struck the first blow against the reserve system, his sacrifice culminated in the groundbreaking advancement he had envisioned the dissolution of the reserve clause and the birth of what we now call free agency. It's not up to the team anymore. You know, they can trade you early, but they can't do it later. All these things that the guys before me went through, I've been able to reap the benefits. I don't think players now understand what Kurt means to them. Not only did he affect the black players, he affected white players as well. He affected everyone. Just because of Kurt, I was able to sign my contract. If we can maximize our dollars just because of Kurt. So I think he should get some more recognition. You know, he changed American sports. What Kurt did and said, this is not fair. And I don't, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't abide it. You know, it's hard to be Kurt Blood because that took a tremendous amount of courage. One of the tragedies of Jackie being the first to play in the majors obviously since the 1880s and flood being the person that tested the reserve clause is that you know it really uh, debilitated the health of both both of them you know took these stands and sacrificed for everybody that came after uh, jackie only lived to be obviously in his early 50s and flood you know really um, was not a healthy man uh, years years after his major league career I just wish that Kirk Flood had been alive when LeBron James had been able to do the decision because that's exactly what Kirk Flood wanted. He wanted players to be able to choose where they go play. To have that kind of power was the reason why Kirk Flood gave up his career. It would delight me where a ball player would say, hey, listen, I really appreciate everything that, you, that you've done. You, you've made my life a lot better. The legacy of Jackie Robinson can be measured by the next generation's willingness to continue his fight. As Bill White, Kurt Flood, and Bob Gibson left the game, their efforts and sacrifices advanced the cause of black players on and off the field. And by the early 1980s, baseball would be on the verge of reaching the highest black representation in its history. As baseball entered a new decade, black representation was at an all-time high, accounting for nearly 20% of the player pool. At the 1981 All-Star Game, this immense talent was on full display with 18 black players across both league rosters. When you look into the 60s and the 70s, where there were more black players who really fought the fight, and then you go to the 80s. Well hit, into right center field, home run! All those players kept fighting for what Jackie wanted in his vision. 80s, you got Dave Winfield, you got Barry Bonds and Ricky Henderson. You got Ozzie Smith and Willie McGee and Vince Coleman. 
Reggie Jackson. Tony Gwynn. You know, Goodens and the Strawberries. You know, Gary Sheffield and Cecil Fielder and, and so many other players that made the game really, really fun to watch, but also served to kind of hide some of these issues that have always been persistent in Major League Baseball at that time that still show up today. As black representation leveled off by the mid-1990s, when Ken Griffey Jr. became the face of baseball, the percentage of black players began a gradual descent. Despite the slow decline, players like Griffey took it upon themselves to honor the legacy of players who paved the way for their success. To me, there's some players that, that should never die. These are the guys that made it easier for, you know, black ball players, people of color to play. Jackie's legacy is more than just baseball. What he did for others, that's his legacy. Number 42, from this day forward, will never again be issued by a major league club. Ten years after Bud Selig retired Jackie Robinson's number on the 50th anniversary of Jackie breaking baseball's color barrier, Griffey approached the commissioner with an idea. And I said, hey, you know, Bud, can I wear 42? Next day, he called me back. He said, do you mind if everybody wears it? I go, absolutely not. The more, the merrier. Jackie Robinson opened the door, and so many other great ball players walked through and had to go through their own hard experiences. At the forefront of that, Kurt Flood, Bob Gibson, and Bill White. But their story is no less heroic. Everything that's happening today in society, we can go back and we can pull up the historical receipts to explain why today looks like today. It's part of the American story. It's part of what the country is supposed to be about, equal opportunity. Sports have often been at the forefront of racial progress. Now, the significance of baseball as a marker is not what it once was. There was a time where, like, black baseball was black baseball. Now, black baseball is a part of baseball where we fit in. What we brought to the game made the entire game better. I think everybody knows that, and it's just a matter of educating people. Why would a, a black kid go into something that he doesn't see any black people? So we have to find some way to, to, to change that. All we can do uh, as the black players in MLB is just uh, force them to put us in the, in the limelight and out front so black kids can see. We all have to come together, do whatever we can in the black communities to get, to get kids playing. Not only playing the game, but in the front offices. The commissioner's office, our job is to grow the game right every single day. Create opportunities for African-American young people that love the game and be mentors and role models for those young people. This has to be an all-hands-on-deck effort. This has to be everybody saying there aren't enough black Americans in this sport that they helped to build. You know, watching Jackie, Jackie, you know, was a player that was an activist just kind of by what he did, what Kurt and Bill and Bob were able to do in that era. It was those guys, you know, coming together. What they did back then is still relevant today. I hope my grandchild says, Pat Kurt, he must have been all right because he stood up for what he wanted. He did the things that he thought to be right. And I'm the guy that's, uh, that made, made it a little bit better for a lot of players.
had all of these other problems away from the field would certainly uh, weighed on you. And I knew there were guys that didn't like me, but you didn't have to like me. I just want you to respect me. Baseball has been in the vanguard of a lot of changes. The integration on the field, the integration of uh, cities. We force this country to do a lot of things that they hadn't done before. Whether the people who did the work to lead to Brown versus Board of Education, or did the work that was part of the civil rights movement, whether they out loud said, Jackie Robinson showed us the way, or whether it was more of a symbolic effect, I don't know. The fact of the matter is that baseball played the role that it did in this country. That was the case. And so in that sense, baseball's integration is not just a great 20th century sports story, it's a great 20th century American story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This 
is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rival, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melon serum. This next generation serum has the power of melon leaf stem cell technology. It's melon leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage professional softball player, journalist, and our moderator for this evening, A.J. Andrews. All right. How is everybody doing this evening? How's everybody doing this evening? Got it. She's doing good. Okay. Well, thank you all for joining us today. As I was introduced, I am a professional softball player and a broadcaster. And as a black professional athlete, as well as a broadcaster, I have been able to reap the benefits of the sacrifices that were made by the men in this field, in this film. Just as many people that will be on this panel, and as well as you in this crowd. And so today, as we continue to talk about the sacrifices that these men made, men who through determination, resiliency, and selflessness, built a table that allowed us to sit and eat and reap what we have today. I'm excited to introduce my panel, who's going to be discussing the after Jackie. Many know the before, some know the before Jackie, many know the during, very few knew the after. And today we're gonna to continue to discuss. So to join me today on this panel, I have Jamal Henderson, Chief Content Officer at Spring Hill Company. Hello, I think so. Andre Gaines, director of this film, After Jackie. Charles Chapman, multicultural marketing at Chevrolet. Jesus Nice, television personality. And Cece Sabathia, six-time All-Star, Cy Young Award winner, 
vice president of Players Alliance, and even has a special seat at the MLB office. Please hush. There you go. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Great. Doing great. Good. Excited to discuss this film after Jackie. I think what's so important about this film is the fact that we don't know what we don't know. And many of us don't understand or know what happened after Jackie. I think we hear about Jackie Robinson and we just think he broke the color barrier and that's it. Right? That's the end of racism in baseball and that is where it ended. But in reality, Jackie was not the end, but he was the beginning. The beginning that opened the door so that other black baseball players could walk through it, but they faced their own struggles with inequality when they did walk through. So Andre, I gotta ask you though, it's been 75 years since Jackie Robinson integrated Major League Baseball. Why now did you decide to make this film? And why did you decide to just center it around Bill White, Bob Gibson, and Kurt? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, and it's a really great question because there's a group of unsung heroes that just have never gotten their due. And as a filmmaker, I sort of, I, I take it upon myself as a personal mission to give them their due. It's almost like this beautiful museum we have with uh, a curator finding an artifact that nobody has ever seen, but putting it in a museum and putting it on display for everybody to be able to see. Because after Jackie really has two meanings. It's really the Jackie Robinson after the one that we know, who integrated baseball, this civil rights leader that we've never really heard much about. But then also the guys that he helped uh, support, that he was an advocate of, who he helped usher in. And, you know, and it's, it's not dissimilar to, to B.C. and A.D., right? There's sort of a, a life in American history that was before Jackie Robinson and life that was right after Jackie Robinson. So it was, it was an appropriate story to tell regardless of the 75th anniversary, regardless of the opening of the museum, but an even more special and beautiful event to be able to coincide with both of those milestones in American history. And we have him to thank for the legacy of us being able to sit here today. We absolutely have Jackie Robinson to thank for all of us being here on this stage, but when we specifically were able to hear the stories of Bill White, Kurt Flood, and Bob Gibson, three players that really had a big impact, not just on baseball, but as sports as a whole, through their athleticism, but as well as through a lot of good trouble. And when you think about the things that they were able to accomplish, why was it so important to also be able to tell their stories? Well, you know, Jamal will kind of attest to this, working with Uninterrupted, working with LeBron James, Maverick Carter, uh, with Jamal, with Phil Byron. Uh, Jackson Newsmith, with all of the team from Spring Hill, where the motto is really more than an athlete. And really, with Jackie Robinson, we see an athlete first and then someone in retirement who became an activist. But during this time with Bill White, Bob Gibson, Kurt Flood, uh, in the early 60s up through the end of the 60s, this is the first time in, in our nation's history we're really seeing the combined player activist, somebody who is on the field playing at the highest level possible, but then off of the field, fighting for freedom, equality, and liberty and justice. That's the birth of that era. We, the, the, probably the most prominent one is Muhammad Ali. You have Bill Russell, you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you have Bill White, Bob Gibson, you have Kurt Flood, you have these guys who are standing up, Jim Brown, you have them standing up for 
their rights while playing at the highest level possible. Without them, we don't have a LeBron James, we don't have a Colin Kaepernick, uh, we don't have so many of our modern athletes, and we have them as a direct line to thank for that. I think the three of them are the proof that if you give black talent the opportunity to shine, we will blind you with our light. The ability to go out on the field and prove that you have to pay attention. Be so good you cannot ignore. And I think in this film when talked about Jackie Robinson, he got to the point where he could not ignore anymore the mistreatment. He couldn't ignore the inequality that he was facing. He started mouthing off. And to your point, talking about being more than an athlete, he knew that that was what he was. And he didn't want to be the symbol anymore to just shut up and play. And Jamal, I want to talk to you because when it comes to uninterrupted, Ladies and gentlemen, we invite you to join us at the front of the room for our panel. Please lower your volume of your conversation in the back of the room so that we all may enjoy this very insightful and brilliant conversation. Thank you. All right. Well, Jamal, back to the question where we talked about Jackie refusing to just shut up and play. And when you think about uninterrupted, the trademark that now has been put out there was shut up and dribble. Those four words can no longer be used to reduce athletes to just entertainers. And uninterrupted, being more involved with baseball, why was it so important to have this partnership with the Jackie Robinson Foundation and be involved in this film? Well, I think you said it. I think it's about, you know, Jackie being the role model and being, you know, the beginning of this movement. And I think, obviously, it opens the door for folks like LeBron to do that. But... Uh, we're just so excited to be here and be partners with the foundation. Uh, you know, this is the second collaboration we've had with the, with the foundation, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful place. So uh, for us, I think the, the whole shut up and, and dribble, shut up and play, I mean, it's the ethos of what we're building. Obviously, it's about being more than just an athlete, you know, athletes like yourself that are also journalists and here uh, running this panel. And I think, you know, it, it speaks to the, the brilliant film that Andre made because he was able to weave that through. And I think the thing that I'm excited about and what I always take from it is how much Jackie did after he left the game. We all know he was the first, but really he was an advocate and he was getting in people's ass, you know I mean? He was on people. And, and, and so a lot of people don't know that about Jackie. And I think that's what the archive does. And, and, and Andre just did such a great job pulling that and pulling that story through and, and it goes all the way to, to folks like CC today, who's, you know, carrying that torch. And we saw young brothers last week get drafted into the game, but they still have the same issues that this film highlights. You feel me? So I think that's what, you know, the work is not done, but I think we're just really excited and uh, uninterrupted an athlete empowerment brand to be able to tell these stories. And, uh, and it's really kudos to the team uh, that we're able to bring forth this story and get this done and our partners at Chevrolet to make such a beautiful night happen. I think when it, being an athlete and the power that holds in those words more than an athlete, to understand that you are not solely what you do on the field or court is so important for athletes to move forward in whatever it is and also feel empowered in their voices. And Jackie did that when he invited Bill and Kurt to the rally in Mississippi, as we saw in the film, where he told them, you are able to use your platform as an athlete to embark change. And for athletes, being more than an athlete, I want to ask Jamal, you and CC, why it is so important to continue to remind, especially young black baseball players today, that there is power in their words and that they are more than athletes. I think it's super important because, I mean, if you look at the film, 
I feel like we're we're back at the beginning. You know where we were. I think we're at 6.8 percent in the league in baseball right now. So the the black voices are super important. Mookie Betts is super important. You know when we started the Players Alliance in 2020 and we were going through everything in the wake of the murder of George Floyd, it was a big deal of who was going to take a knee on the baseball field. That had never happened before. And we were having all these discussions and group chats and all these different things. And Mookie just stepped up. He was like, I'm the biggest vo I'm the biggest player. I got the biggest contract. I'm the biggest voice. I'm taking a knee. And that allowed everybody else in the league to go out and be able to take a knee. And it's kind of the same thing that Jackie did is, is kind of nurturing our, you know, our ourselves to be able to go out and be activists and stand up with each other and stand up for each other. Same thing, you know, Jackie inviting those guys down to Jackson, Mississippi. It's the same thing. So um, all of these, those things are still relevant today. So it's super important for us to be up here talking about these things, for the Players Alliance to be active, and for us as, as, as me as a retired player and the current players to, to make sure that we're super active in our, in our communities and make sure that kids are getting the opportunities to play baseball. Jamal, why is it important to continue to empower those voices, as in an Uninterrupted always does, to know that they are more than athletes? Yeah, I can't say any better than CeCe just yeah. did, but, you know, we'll continue to do that and continue to, 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 to all those new voices, both current players, you know, both new players. You know, we just, uh, we just had a brother, Tamar Johnson, who just came, just got drafted. We're following his story right now. So I think his journey to the bigs is going to be exciting and how he's able to do that, how he's able to bring some swag back to the game and, and do the things that these guys did so many years ago and kind of capture that magic again. Charles, I want to ask you, Chevy has deep ties with MLB, and you see all the changes being made and going into the diversity in Major League Baseball. Why did Chevrolet want to partner with Uninterrupted, especially to be a part of this event? Yes, well, you know what? Uh, absolutely. Chevrolet decided to partner. The, the, like you said, the deep ties with the MLB goals. We were the official vehicle of MLB back in 2005, so it's that those ties run deep. We have existing relationships with the uninterrupted team, with other projects that we've worked on. Uh, we were brought with this opportunity. Um, my, my role is working in diversity marketing is to gain cultural capital for GM and its brands. So what better way to do that than partnering with this foundation, partnering with In Uninterrupted, and being able to showcase our product and, and build that? As an athlete, I'm playing softball. I know what it's like to be one of, if not the only black athlete on my team. And I've dealt with the microaggressions. I've dealt with the prejudice. I've dealt with assuming that I'm supposed to be a certain position because I'm black or assuming that I'm fast because I'm black. I do want to know that I am fast but you shouldn't assume that, right? So, but what Mookie so eloquently put in this film was that these guys were just built different. I don't know if I could have withstood the things that they withstood. And, you know, going, stepping onto the field, realizing that I had teammates when I stepped between those lines, but that I didn't when I stepped off was something that hurt me. But I want to ask you guys, from this film, was there anything that really stood out from you, for you, or stuck with you, or really surprised you? And Andre, because you had the countless of research and hours looking film, I want you to go first. Well, I, the thing that surprised me the most was probably the thing that surprised most people the most is what was, was Jackie as the agitator. You know, we don't see that. I made a movie last year called The One and Only Dick Gregory about the late great comedian who was a self-described agitator. That's what his, his own moniker was. And, but when you think of Jackie Robinson, it's like a, the way that it's described, Jackie 
breaking the color barrier. It's like a good, you know, bowl of oatmeal. There's no, there's no deviation from something that's very like American traditional, and it's like that's sort of it. But the truth of the matter is that you touched upon something earlier that that he ruffled a lot of feathers. By the time that he he left the game, he was one of the among the most hated men in baseball that we talked about. That was a surprise to me, and it was because he was. He was designed at the outset to be uh, the guy that could could hold his tongue, could, you know, stand his ground and just sort of stay away from, from trouble, not respond. But, you know, by the time he got into the third or fourth season, it's like, I, I got to say something. These these guys are beating me up. They're, they're yelling at me. They're doing this sort of stuff. And we never see that, that side of him. And so I was, it was an eye-opener for me. And it was an eye-opener for my whole team, but it was also like th there can be a whole movie just about this, just about that version of Jackie Robinson. And he spent more of his life being that activist than he did being that player. And thank God to the museum, thank God to, to Della uh, Britton and the whole team at Jackie Robinson Foundation of being able to highlight what Jackie's life was like after uh, his time in baseball because the world really needs to know. Absolutely. Jesus, was there anything that surprised you? Well, I think a lot of times when you watch Major League Baseball, when they recognize Jackie Robinson, it's kind of like, yo, racism's done. Right. Like, he fixed it. And we didn't realize all this happened after Jackie Robinson. People were still dealing with these issues. And these are still issues we're still kind of dealing with today. Like, you know, my guy CeCe, like, Boston, you know, when you go there, you know what it's like, my guy. These are issues that have not been resolved, and they're also not brought up that often in Major League Baseball. And also, as a black person watching baseball, it resonates differently. Because I'm watching that, I'm like, yo, we're still dealing with that. Like, he was, like, one of the top players in his field, and he still had to deal with racism outside the stadium. Like, we also have to deal with that in this day and age. And then also the fact that you don't know that many black people that watch baseball. It's like my guy Clinton Leates over there. I mean, you know, and that's my guy. We're talking, and he introduced me to his friend, and I'm like, okay, now I know nine black people that watch baseball. Like, we're very rare. No, the exact number. Exactly. But it just, it brings light to something people have not been shown in the past. We just kind of got this image of Jackie Robinson as, like, this soft, lovable character, and he fixed racism. Like you said, he's an agitator. He had to fight for more. He moved the bar a little bit, but then he saw there was more ground he had to cover. So exposing that to a generation that doesn't know about that, and that, even my generation, I didn't know. I learned so much in this movie just a while ago. And it's just like we constantly have to keep doing that because if we don't tell our stories, who's going to tell them? If we don't tell our stories, who will? Jamal, I want to ask you, was there anything that surprised you or stuck with you from this film? I mean, so many things. And, you know, been fortunate enough to see a lot of this tape for a long time. But I think, uh, you know, look, I think, I think the stories of allyship are cool in this too with the Cardinals. And what happened in spring training, I think, you know, seeing that story and how that team came together and changed it, when you literally had brothers that couldn't stay in the same hotel with their teammates, you know what I mean? And I think that's really where it comes together because, and, and C could probably speak to this better than anyone, it's like that, that clubhouse is a lot of different people, you know, from all different countries and different communities. And so, you know, I think that was cool to see that come together and obviously that being just a, a hell of a team. So that all made sense to me. But... Um, but I think everybody hit on hit on hit on the, the beauty of the, the archive and what we were able to get and just the, the interviews from some of these brothers that are no longer with us. Kurt Flood said in this film something that really stuck out to me the most, and it said a lot of the times you think, I wish someone 
would do something about that. And a lot of the times, it's you that must. And Cece, that brings me to you because through your storied career and everything that you've been able to accomplish, now being the vice president for the Players Alliance, whose mission is to address baseball's systemic barriers to equity and inclusion by creating pathways to opportunities and opportunities on and off the fields for black talent. What was the moment when you realized it was you that must create the change? Wow. Um, I think pretty early, to be honest, because, um, you know, I, I got a chance to meet Dave Stewart when I was nine years old, and that kind of changed my life. And I always wanted to be that presence in the, in the community or be that person for a young kid to see on the mound with my hat cricket or the Jordans in the big uniform. Like, I always wanted to stay true to myself to make sure that I'm representing who I am so that somebody in the, in the hood where I grew up can look at me and be like, oh, I can do that. Oh, like, because I had, I had to have that vision, you know? And before, before it was Dave Stewart, Dave Stewart guy was Bob Gibson. And the line just keeps going back, going back all the way to Black Aces, you know what I mean? So the history and how close we all are as black baseball players it's just one degree of separation. It's, it's, in, it's incredible how close we all are. So um, for me, it's just super important to make sure that I continue to, to keep that legacy alive and make sure that I continue to, to make that legacy for, for the younger players, the Dom Smith, the J.P. Crawford, what they're doing in L.A. with Baseball Generations. These guys are light years ahead of what I was doing in my career. So it's great to see it, but um, I think I always knew um, you know, it was my responsibility to make sure that kids that look like me had something to look up to. I can remember the very first time that I rem realized how important representation was, and it was after coming off the field from a game where I did not perform well, and a young black mother and her child come up to me and said, you're my daughter's favorite player. And I'm thinking, Nah, you, you must have got the wrong person. I did not have a good game. And she said, no, my daughter has never seen someone playing at this level, and you will now forever be her first and favorite professional softball player. And, but I, I think to that point was it all it mattered was that we showed up. It didn't necessarily matter how we performed. It mattered that we were there. And I want to ask you one more time, Cece, what was it like to be able to watch Bob Gibson, an ace, someone who has the power, the strikeouts, very much like you? How did that impact your career? It, it, it was a huge impact on my career. My grandfather was a huge Bob Gibson fan. And for me to sit here now and end up with the same amount of wins as him, you know, he had 251 wins. I ended up with 251 wins. Like, it's just crazy for me to sit here and be in the same light as Bob Gibson. I don't see myself in that light, but um, to be able to, to have the same type of numbers um, that he had, I mean, is incredible. Um, I'm just hope, hopefully I can have the type of impact that he has on the game, you know, long, long lasting legacy that he had, that he's had on the game. So that's, you know, that's my job now in the second career is to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can to impact the game positively the way he did in his career. Love that. Charles, Chevy is on a mission to be the most diverse and socially inclusive brand on the market. What is Chevy doing right now to impact communities that are diverse? Well, my sole job is to make sure that happens and to ensure that there's a consistency when we focus on the community. 
There are a number of programs that Chevrolet is responsible for that runs through our team. One in particular that's near and dear to my heart is the Chevrolet Discover the Unexpected program, where we focus on HBCU students and providing internships. Just yesterday, one of our interns just bumped into him here at the event yesterday. That was phenomenal. Uh, this program has been around for six years. We've uh, raised, uh, donated, and I don't want to say donated, we awarded more than $600,000 to these students for scholarships, for stipends. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, they create content. We ensure that their experiences are, are meaningful. And we look to create a pipeline for them to gain employment uh, after, after school. So in addition to that, like there are a number of programs like, you know, being involved in this itself uh, was, is another way that we try to endear ourselves to the community and understanding the sustainability part of it. It's not just showing up. You, know, you can't sell a car and truck without you know, building that equity. And we feel that Chevrolet um, overall is, is doing that. And I think it's my job to ensure that they continue to do that and that I'm bringing opportunities like this in front of the, the people that matter. We continue to move the needle forward. Jesus, I gotta ask you, I've seen you and I hear you're a Yankees fan. You know, Twice Seven Rings, live and die. I literally <laughs> went across the street from the original Yankee Stadium. I know nothing about baseball. I just go with my heart. Oh, I love that. Well, I've seen you wear the 5950 New Era hat, which is actually the official baseball cap for Major League Baseball. And when we think to hip-hop and black culture, baseball has been at the center of it for a very long time. And people forget that. We can't look at a hip-hop video without seeing the 5950 New Era hat. So talk to me about how it is that we can continue to move the needle forward with representation, getting baseball back into the black culture, back into black culture the way NFL and the NBA is. Oh, absolutely. I mean, like even growing up in New York, I remember I would see people with Yankee caps or I'd see people with Boston caps. I'm like, you have on a Boston cap in New York? And they're like, yeah, I'm a blood. And I was like, oh, that has nothing to do with baseball. I'm sorry. Yeah. But so it's just kind of like it's part of our culture, but we're not part of baseball. And then you'd have young players they get in trouble for tilting their cap or wearing a chain or, you know, dropping the bat. And you're like, yo, this makes the game fun. This makes me want to watch the game. I don't want it to be old and stodgy. And for a long time, we tried to work with the MLB, and they kind of pushed back. They were like, you're a little too urban, a little too hip-hop. And now you go to a Yankee game, and before the Yankee game starts, for two minutes, they're just playing that Mob Deep Shook Ones instrumental. And everyone, every white person, hey, CC, I see you. Everybody knows that song. That song is no longer a black song. That is a generational song. I got my white homies, they're bobbing their heads. They know all the words. And it's just, it's so ingrained into baseball now. You see Mookie Betts, you got all these players, and they just got that swag in them. And when they come up to the plate and they got that swag, you're tuned in. You're watching it. So we have to expose this more to the community because we don't even realize we're doing big things in baseball. You have people who are just like, black people don't play baseball. And it's like, no, dog, we're out here. Well, not me, but, you know, CC. But we're out here, we're representing, and we just need, because it's a hard game to play. You have to have enough people to play a full game. If you're playing in the street, the car is coming, you don't have bases and everything. But if you really want it, we can make it happen. So it's important for people like CeCe, Curtis Grandison, even myself, just to talk to the next, uh, next generation and just tell them why we love baseball and make them see it the same way we see it. And so they can, they're like, oh, if you liked it, maybe there's something there for me. It's like, we can do more than basketball. We can do more than football. And listen, those baseball contracts are pretty sweet. You might want to get your kids <laughs> one of them. That's guaranteed money, right? It is, definitely. So, I mean, listen, but no, we love baseball, and we really need to, as African Americans, just get back to it. And also, we're really good at it. We're really good at it. I was about to say, that's a, that's a good point. We are really good at it. Really I don't good. think we've ever made up more than 27% of the league. We make up 38% of the Hall of Fame. So that means when we play, we're the best every time. So 
two best players in the league right now, Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge. So, I mean, when, when we show up and play on the baseball field, we, we, we're, we're normally the best players on the field. Black baseball players changed baseball in Major League Baseball. That's why it is the game we love to watch today. And then you talk about the contracts. I mean, Kurt Flood is responsible for what we know today as free agency so that baseball players can say no to $440 million contracts if Ooh. they want to. Yeah, I don't know about that. But when you think about Bob Gibson, uh, one thing that Jack Flaherty mentioned in it that I thought was so dope was how Bob said, I never hit nobody. I just, they just did not get out of the way. And when you think to the confidence you have to have, especially in the time that he was playing, I think that that was something that really pushed him forward. And I want to ask you guys, if you guys have just like a saying or an affirmation that continues to pro propel you forward and keeps you confident throughout your career. Cece, I'll start with you. Mine is just keep going. You know, I've been through so many ups and downs in my life that it's just always get to the next day. It's just one day at a time and just keep going. Oh, that's good. Uh, for me, I, I, it's a coach. A coach uh, gave me this saying, air is a commission, not omission. So, you know, try to hit somebody. You know, you don't want to be the person looking at the tape, be like, man, you didn't hit nobody. You might hit the wrong person, but hit somebody. So, you know, uh, just trying to make errors a commission, not omission. Yeah, my um, my father, I remember, said me, to me as a, as a kid, just as simple as answer is always no if you don't ask. So it's a given. You need to need to ask for what it is that you want. Need to ask for what it is you want to, you desire to try to achieve, and you'll be surprised. And frankly, I've used that in my career in a way that I never thought um, uh, would excel or advance it in the way that it has. It's like just open your mouth and ask somebody a question, and you'll be surprised at what the answer you get. So it's been always an affirmation for me. Yeah, and for me, it's just really, you know, giving the best at anything that I attempt to do and just, you know, with my whole heart and ensure it's like I think about it, I have a 12-year-old son and like how I kind of instruct him, you know, with him in soccer playing. It's like, you know, if you're going to show up, make sure you show up. If you're in a room, you deserve to be in that room. And um, I have to live by the same thing I'm trying to instill in him. Mine is just like you only have but so much time in life, and so you have to make the most of it every day. So every day you got to show up. And whether that means being your own solo player or being a good team player, you have to give 100% every day, even if you don't feel like it. There's been times, I'm sure, you went on the field, you felt like crap. You don't want to be out there, but your teammates need you. This is what you do. So it's just like you got to believe in yourself, show up every day, and put your best foot forward. And as long as you do that, you're going to be the best person you can be, not only for yourself but for the people you work with. I love it. And mine would be always be too determined to be defeated and too focused to be doubtful, too focused on my goals to ever even allow doubt to creep into my mind. And I really want to talk to Jackie Robinson, where we talked about his quote, where he says, the life is not important except for the impact it has on other lives. And I want to ask you all what you hope this film, after Jackie, the impact that it has on everyone that watches it, specifically black baseball players. I just, I just hope that, it, that people understand that we're still in the crisis, you know, and, and we still have these problems and all these, the stuff that's in this film that these guys were talking about in the six, 50s and 60s, still going on today. So, you know, we need to pay attention and, and do a better job as a, a society in baseball um, and, and just making sure that we you know, give, give more opportunities to black and brown kids and, and MLB top to bottom. Yeah, I just hope it educates and inspires 
uh, you know, so, so many things in the film just people don't know. Uh, and, you know, kudos to Andre and the team that made, you know, did, did such a good job, but I hope it inspires the next Thank generation. Um, yeah, no, no director can ever take all the credit, although most directors like to take all the credit. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, yeah, it was kudos to the team. Uh, we, 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 we put this together in a, a faster fashion than a typical film that you would do. It sort of takes a little bit longer. Um, but because of the team that we had and everybody's putting their best foot forward and us really getting along, I mean, like a lot of people don't realize that that's kind of the most important thing. You're spending 12, 14 hours a day with people. You better get along with them. And part of that camaraderie is what made it possible for us to get to the, the film that we're all quite proud of. And I think the thing that I want and have always wanted people to take away from not only this film but my work is that you can do more, that just if you do your part in sort of the big equation, you don't have to be Jackie Robinson. You don't have to, to, to be the, the, the first or the biggest or the loudest voice in the room, but you can do a little part in, in any section, any organization, any job, any business, any sport, wherever you are, and that will add to part of the whole and make change in this world that we ultimately need. So we have Jackie to think as our leader, but at the end of the day, Bill White, Bob Gibson, Kurt Floyd, they all did their part. They all did their part of the whole to, to turn this into something that we can all be uh, proud of at the end of the day. And from my end, what really resonated and stood out to me was just the, the management aspect of it, like how long it still took to have black managers, you know, in the league. And, and it's still a problem to this day, not only in baseball, but across, you know, many of the major sports. Um, and each, for that matter, even in corporate America, you know, so, you know, that, that leadership role, you know, really, you know, focusing on what that opportunity is and, and that you can make it happen. But, you know, I think that there's still a ways to go. And I know that the, the folks on the panel have already uh, mentioned that, but, you know, just how far we've come, we still have a long way to go. Absolutely. I think what I want people to take away from this movie is like, Hopefully when it ends, you pull out your phone, you go on Wikipedia, you Google the people that were in this, and you learn more. Like, this movie is not all, it's not going to teach you everything about Jackie Robinson, but it should start to spark in your head that makes you want to learn more. And if you learn more, you're going to do more and teach more people about these people that led the way for us and led the way for more black players. And hopefully this leads to, like, a new generation of black players, because right now we got nowhere to go but up. So, you know, maybe there's a kid, a little girl somewhere, and she doesn't have that backbone in her that could face the opposition, I could face, like, the racial stuff on the field. And maybe this movie will push her and be like, yo, you can face that. If he went through this, you could do that. So maybe that, if that's the takeaway from this, that's all I want right there. Like, maybe it will help at least one person become a professional athlete. Showing that the power in your voice and being an advocate can truly create the change that we want to see in this world. Jackie Robinson did that until his death, even up to two weeks as I explained in the video prior to him dying, he was advocating for black athletes, black people in the sport of baseball, wanting to see a black manager on the sidelines. And result of Jackie's advocacy, he, we have now black broadcasters, we have black faces in the office, we have black coaches, black managers, and to me, what I really think I take from this movie from After Jackie is a reminder from what the late, great James Baldwin said, where we cannot always, nothing that we, everything we face will not always get changed, but we cannot change anything until it is first faced. 
And so I hope everyone in this room, especially everyone on this panel, continues to face the challenges we have in baseball and to continue to create change. Thank you so much for being a part of this panel and watching this film. So, folks, that is it, the panel here. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. Now I'd like to introduce you to Meaningful Beauty, the famed skincare brand created by iconic supermodel Cindy Crawford. It's her secret to absolutely gorgeous skin. Meaningful Beauty makes powerful and effective skincare simple, and it's loved by millions of women. It's formulated for all ages and all skin tones and types, and it's designed to work as a complete skincare system, leaving your skin feeling soft, smooth, and nourished. I recommend starting with Cindy's Full Regimen, which contains all five of her best-selling products, including the amazing Youth Activating Melody. 
Melon Serum. This next generation serum has the power of Melon Leaf stem cell technology. It's Melon Leaf stem cells encapsulated for freshness and released onto the skin to support a visible reduction in the appearance of wrinkles. With thousands of glowing five-star reviews, why not give it a try? Subscribe today and you can get the amazing Meaningful Beauty system for just $49.95. That includes our introductory five-piece system, free gifts, free shipping, and a 60-day money-back guarantee. All of that available at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Is uh, Don a great pal there talking about uh, this movie after Jackie? I absolutely hope all of you who watch this on the Black Star Network app, uh, on all of our platforms, on Facebook and YouTube, Twitch, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, I certainly hope uh, you enjoy this. This was exactly why we wanted to be here. This is why uh, we wanted to be here, not just to cover uh, the groundbreaking, but for us to be here for all three days, for us to be able uh, to showcase for you uh, all of the different things that were taking place over this three-day celebration of opening the opening of the Jackie Robinson Museum. We kicked this off uh, on Monday, uh, broadcasting our show. Great interview uh, with the legendary Spike Lee. And so that was amazing. Then, of course, uh, on yesterday, uh, we had the, the uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony hosted by Robin Roberts of Good Morning America. Then, of course, uh, they cut the ribbon, and then so many people got in to go and see the museum. Uh, and then, of course, we interviewed such luminaries uh, as journalist Howard Bryan, Billy G. King, Bill Roden, former Attorney General Eric Holder, uh, talking to uh, Osani Pratt's National Urban League, and then, of course, uh, hearing from... Uh, so many others that was that was just that was so important uh, and then of course uh, we got a chance to broadcast from inside of the museum the first media outlet allowed to broadcast from inside of the Jackie Robinson Museum and so uh, we greatly appreciate that we greatly appreciate that uh, as well and so folks uh, just uh, it has been an extraordinary three days I, I really hope uh, all of you uh, got uh, to learn a lot about Jackie Robinson that you did not know, that you were not aware of, uh, where you now have a better understanding uh, of who he is. And 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 this in this this coverage, y'all. Uh, this is why black-owned media matters. This is why we do what we do. Um, you know, if, if you were watching that documentary, you heard them uh, talk about Window Smith. Uh, the legendary sports writer for the Pittsburgh Courier and how he used the pen to write about uh, the wrongs and uh, white Major League Baseball locking out African Americans. And it was Sam Lacey as well uh, with the Afro-American. Sam Lacey with his reporting and, and what they were able to accomplish. Folks, that is the history of black-owned media. Uh, when we didn't get to this place on our own. It was the Pittsburgh Courier. It was the Afro-American. It was the Chicago Defender. It was the Land Daily World. Uh, it was uh, all of these black uh, newspapers all across the country. Then evolved into black-owned radio and then black-owned television. And now we're operating now with the black digital spaces. And, you know, again, there are a lot of people. I love these people who talk about their new media and they're covering all these different things. Uh, but the reality is uh, our story is not just about hair and beauty and entertainment and sports. It's not just about uh, reparations. It's not just about voting suppression. Uh, we are uh, 
uh, a, 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 a deep, broad, complex uh, people. And so we must ensure uh, that we are on the scene covering these things, telling these stories, speaking to these issues, uh, and, and bringing folks voices they ordinarily will not hear. That's why we wanted to be here. That's why we are here. And so the beauty of owning is you don't have to ask permission. The beauty of owning is you don't have to ask someone, hey, can we please come here and do this? No, the beauty of owning is that we said yes. We are here, bringing our cameras here, bringing our lights and our switchers and our audio board and all those things. And so, yes, this whole thing, y'all, uh, this week is about $5,000. Just letting you know what it costs in terms of travel, what it costs for, for crew, uh, hotel costs per diem. And so that's why your support absolutely matters. And so what we're trying to do is we're waiting to talk to uh, Della Robinson, uh, who leads the uh, Deck Robinson Foundation, uh, to close this out. Uh, so we want to talk with her. And so she's buzzing around here. Uh, she's talking to her sponsors and things along those lines. And so uh, we're looking for her right now and that we can get her. And so that's what uh, we're, that's what we're waiting on uh, as we speak. And so, uh, hey, Deshaun, see if you can, um, see if you can go, go, go get Della, Della Robinson with the Jack Robinson Foundation. I think for her to close it out. Go find Della. Della. So we want, we want to talk with her. I'm going to stand up because I'm going to look for her and find her uh, because we definitely want to, like I said, we've been talking to everybody. Uh, she's been out and about uh, talking, doing her thing. And so uh, we want to chat with her to close this out. And so I know she's in the room. No, she's in the room. Uh, but there's been, um, but that's how I want to close this thing out with, uh, to talk with her, uh, to get her thoughts and perspectives uh, on, on all of this. And so, uh, again, absolutely uh, fantastic, fantastic last three days. Uh, folks, I really hope y'all enjoyed, enjoyed it. I really hope uh, y'all were able uh, to, to really take in uh, all that uh, we were talking about. Uh, and I'm, so, so Mark, I'm trying to find Della. Trying to find Della. Huh? Somebody else was just asking me where she was. Yeah, so hopefully she's still here. Yes, I want to I close this out with her. So we're trying to find her right now as we speak, y'all. Uh, and so, um, again, this is a this is an absolutely uh, fabulous museum. Uh, I, I really hope y'all uh, come here uh, and and visit it. I hope you check it out. I hope you're able to uh, to see it. If I can't find her, you want the grandchildren? Uh, sure, that's fine. Um, and so uh, we're looking for her. And what we're going to what we're trying to do is we're going to pull one of the grandchildren uh, of Jackie Robinson over. Uh, and, uh, and chat with them uh, to get their thoughts and perspective uh, on all of this. And so uh, that's what we're working on, y'all. So y'all are seeing what happens uh, with live television. Uh, these things happen. Uh, these things happen, y'all. Um, and so we're, we're sitting here uh, waiting to chat with one of them. Um, but like I said, folks, uh, this is why we do what we do. Uh, to be able uh, to share these stories, uh, to tell these stories, uh, this is uh, just so important um, uh, for us uh, to do so. And so, uh, and so that's why we wanted to be here. Uh, 
and so uh, that, that that's the deal. And so uh, it's so many, so many, and so much about our history uh, that is critically important that we want to, that we are always trying to share and tell with folks, and that's why these things matter. Uh, this here is one of the granddaughters of Jackie Robinson, and so we're going to sit here. Huh? Okay, come on. And so we're gonna sit here and just uh, just say a couple couple of words uh, with her. All right, so uh, pop those on. Just tell her, let everybody know uh, who you are. Am I talking to you or anything? No, nope, just looking at me. Just talk right there in the headset. All right. All right, just let everybody know your name and who you are. My name is Io Robinson. And I am David Robinson's daughter. I am one of the grandchildren of Jack and Rachel. Gotcha. And so uh, just, just share with the folks who are watching, those who are listening, uh, what uh, it feels like to actually watch this vision of Rachel Robinson come to fruition, and that is the Jack Robinson Museum. This has been a time of great self-reflection, honestly, because um, I am overwhelmed by the life that my grandmother has lived, constantly reminded of the impact that my grandfather has made. But my grandmother being 100 years old and cutting the ribbon on this museum, seeing one of her last visions for her life come to fruition is extremely moving. Um, I think it reminds me of how far there is to step up as an individual, how much impact we can make on a society um, as individuals. And I think that's so important right now, you know, in my lifetime, our context of our country today, I don't think that we understand how much power we have as people and how much, uh, how important it is for us to step up into that and be a part of our society so we can see the world that we actually want to live in. Uh, obviously, uh, your grandfather passed away before you uh, were here, uh, and uh, for you, is it still uh, a, a constant learning experience uh, with just all of the things uh, that encompass Jackie Robinson? Yes, yes. I mean, I've grown up with it, so part of it is sort of ingrained, innate. I can almost take it for granted, but I am always reminded every year, every month, uh, particularly this year, reminded of how much more there is, what the subtleties are, um, what the weight of it is, really, honestly, yeah. Well, it was so interesting for me watching that documentary, uh, and again, I read his book, uh, I've read other books, I've seen other documentaries, other movies as well, uh, and yeah, it's even even for me as somebody who loves history, uh, it, it still is always that, oh, I didn't know that. Right. Oh, that was cool. Oh, wow. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, that to me also, I think, what is what is also just so fascinating, and which I think what, what, what the museum is so great, is because, again, it gives you a full understanding of him beyond baseball. Absolutely. And every little subtlety gives you a greater context. So it, it really does make it more understandable um, and, and more personal, I think. When you learn those details and you learn the nuances, and it's not just the sort of picture fairy tale that we hear. I mean, in this film, they talked about how we can very easily think, well, Jackie Robinson came along and he broke the color barrier and everything was great after that. But when we realize what struggle still remains and we get 
uh, introduced to these people, historical figures who are still a part of our modern day fabric, and you get to know what they went through after this supposed change in the world, you realize that, you know, it's, 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 it's not all just roses after a certain thing. There's still a gradual struggle that takes place, and, and we're all actually a part of that struggle. Now, how many grandchildren are there? <laughs> I have to do the math on that. Uh, there are 11, 12. There are 12 grandchildren altogether now. So it must be, it also must be different because, look, let's just be honest, uh, your grandmother's 100 years old. Yeah. And so uh, the grandchildren now have to be the caretakers of that legacy. Yeah. And then the great-grandchildren have to be the caretakers of the legacy. Because at the end of the day, uh, that's who, uh, more than anyone else, uh, who is going to be most responsible for it. So, y'all prepared? We're getting there, yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we were, we were raised in this, and we understand the blessing of it. Um, and whatever extra anything that it gives us, we are ready. We are ready to take on that torch. We are ready to carry the mental. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right, then. Look, we certainly appreciate it. And we uh, had, have had a fabulous time being here. Uh, and glad to see you all. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All Thanks right, so much. Well, take I appreciate care. it. Uh, again, folks, I said you're good. You take it off. You're good. Uh, so, again, folks, uh, it has been uh, an extraordinary uh, moment uh, to be here for uh, the last uh, several uh, days since Monday. Five years ago, we were here when we they broke ground uh, on this um, museum. Five years ago, uh, COVID hit in 2020. They thought they would be done with it uh, before uh, 2020. That wasn't the case. $35 million was raised to complete uh, this museum. And so uh, there's still more work to be done. I was talking uh, to Della last night. Uh, they're looking for a communications uh, chief. They're looking for somebody uh, to handle development, uh, to raise money uh, for the foundation. There's more work to be done because it's not just this museum. They have their Jackie Robinson scholars, uh, the edu educational dollars that they also raise. And so there's so much. And, and, and I said this, and I really do believe this. I really do believe that Major League Baseball should make a donation of $100 million to this foundation. Not only in honor of the 100th birthday of Rachel Robinson, but Major League Baseball should make sure that this foundation has the resources it needs in perpetuity. And they've done things so far. They were certainly one of the donors of, of this museum. They were not the largest donor they should have been. But I absolutely believe that Major League Baseball uh, should make a $100 million donation to the Jack Robinson Foundation to ensure that his legacy is always remembered. This foundation is going to be the caretaker of that legacy. They have this museum. That needs to happen. And so I, I would hurtly, certainly hope Rob Manfred, of the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and these owners will understand that. Uh, it's one thing to recognize him every single year on Jackie Robinson Day, which is April 15th, where all the teams in Major League Baseball wear the number 42 jersey. And last week when they had the celebrations taking place at uh, Major League Baseball All-Star Game in Los Angeles, uh, home of the Dodgers, that's all great as well. But if you are committed to that legacy, then you will commit 
your resources to that legacy. And so I believe it absolutely should happen, and we hope it would happen. We want to thank all of you uh, for joining us over the last three days as we have covered the opening of the Jack Robinson Museum. Uh, we appreciate uh, those of you who have watched, who shared our videos, uh, who listened to our audio podcast. We appreciate all of that. This is why black-owned media exists. This is precisely why we are here. This is why we do what we do, because this is all about our culture. This is about being able to tell our story. You have heard me say this multiple times. The nation's first black newspaper was Freedom's Journal. And they wrote in their lead editorial, the third paragraph, on March 16, 1827, we wish to plead our own cause. Too long have others spoken for us. That, to me, folks, is what's so important. That, to me, is what matters the most. We wish to plead our own cause. Too long have others spoken for us. Let's be perfectly clear. They were here yesterday for the ribbon cutting. But ESPN is not here. ABC is not here. NBC, CBS, Fox, CNN, MSNBC, they are not here. Other black-owned media, they are not here. We are here. And this is why we do what we do. And so we want you to stand with us, to support us with your dollars, to support us with your resources. Uh, of course, cash, or you can check our money orders through P.O. Box 57196, Washington, D.C., 20037-0196. Our cash app is dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Our PayPal is R Martin Unfiltered. Our Venmo is RM Unfiltered. Our Zelle is rolling at rollingsmartin.com. Folks, that is it. I'll be back in studio on tomorrow. Be there uh, on Friday as well. We want to thank you so much for everything, for all that you have done. Folks, that is it as we uh, close out our coverage of the opening of the Dick Robinson Museum here in New York City. Thank you so very much. I'll see you guys tomorrow from Washington, D.C. As we always do, we end our show the way I do it. Holla! From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. What's up, y'all? Janice Torres here. And I'm Austin Hankwitz. We're the hosts of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories, a podcast presented by iHeartRadio's Ruby Studios and Intuit QuickBooks. Join us as we speak with small business owners about the tools they use to turn their ideas into success. From finding that initial spark of entrepreneurship to organizing payments and invoices, we've got you covered. So follow and listen to Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.